0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. <laughs>
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a happy hump day on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Guess Smallman. Guess what
1: day it is, uh, yeah. huh?
2: Hump day! It is hump day. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's a happy hump day, Michelle. Yachty is going to be another year.
3: That is certainly great news for... Cardinal Nation, but is it a happy hump day? Mm. Is it? Because while that's good news coming out of the Cardinals, the result last night and some other news coming out of the game, not great.
2: Yeah, mildly frustrating if you're a Cardinal fan as they lose 4-3. They were behind 4-0 in the third inning and then we learned that Jack Flaherty wasn't feeling great. We subsequently learned that Jack Flaherty had shoulder tightness and missed the game he's going to undergo more testing this morning at 10 the Cardinals have a noon game to wrap up the two-game series against the Tigers but Jack Flaherty missed the last seven innings of last night's game Missed the last six innings of last night's game and says that he started out fine and then as things went along
4: it, it just got less comfortable as the game went on mm-hmm. try to give everything I had and, and ignore it and uh you know there, there's certain things that, you know, you're out there and you always, you always most of the time you're dealing with something, something's going on, whether it's, you know, something sore and that's, you know, for me, I'm going to mostly chalk most things up to that and then it just, you know, can really go through so much.
2: Absolutely. And, Michelle, shoulders to me are really scary for a pitcher because more times than not, if a player has a severe shoulder injury, it winds up being a career ender. Ender, the medical community has not figured out how to fix a shoulder yet.
3: You know, last night watching that game, there was one name flashing through my mind the entire time, Michael Uh huh. And I don't want to assume that it's going to be something that's as severe as that, but you're right. Whenever you've dealt with a player, especially a pitcher who was supposed to be the next guy – and has so much talent, but that's what I think about Michael Waka. He was supposed to be the next guy. He had so much talent. He was supposed to be the ace of the Cardinals, but that shoulder injury was so severe and persisted so much that he was never able to become what he wanted to. And of course, you don't want to make the you don't want to go from zero to Waka. That's not what we're trying no. to do here. But whenever we as a fan base have dealt with a pitcher who's dealt with a severe shoulder injury, that's naturally where your mind goes. And so I, turn the lights out. The party's over on Jack Flaherty this season. If I was the Cardinals and he was someone that was so valuable to me, I would not want to push it at all.
2: I am with you 100%. We'll get into that in a moment, but one thing we should note, and Flaherty mentioned last night, that
4: the shoulder irritation wasn't new. Um, I mean, it's something that was, you know, monitored throughout the week and felt good enough to go today. And as the game kind of went on, it just didn't didn't work out that way. It was frustrating. I was I was going to go out there and give everything that I had until... You know, when we got through the first, it was, I was like, all right, I'm good. Like, I can go out and, and keep it going and kind of just in between it, it stiffened up. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just frustrating being one or two pitches different. And or, you know, you want to tough everything out and give everything you have, especially for these guys, the way that they battled back in the situation that we're in. So I always felt that I was, you know, just going to put everything on the line until it was so I couldn't anymore.
2: Michelle, we we love the guys that compete like that, that want to go until they can't anymore. But when you're 24 years old and you're dealing with a shoulder injury and he's young in a career – He needs, and I'm glad he was. He he told them about it. He was careful. The Cardinals were careful about it. And I'm with you. I'm in the camp of just shut him down for the last six weeks of the season. We don't know, and maybe we'll find out as we go along, whether or not the oblique injury led to Mm -hmm. the shoulder issues. But let him get back to 100% because the Cardinals are not going to be a playoff team. They just aren't good enough to be a playoff team. And even if they would somehow magically find their way to a one-game playoff against the Dodgers. Are they really going to beat the Dodgers in a one-game playoff?
3: Okay. They're four and a half games out still, Uh-huh. and they have beat the, a better Dodgers team in the postseason before. So I don't I don't want to turn out the lights of party's over on the entire season. I still want the Cardinals to go for it. I still want them – I don't want them to roll over in any way just because Jack Flaherty might be lost again for the season. Um, but I do think if I'm the Cardinals, and specifically in regards to Jack Flaherty – If 2022 is a year where you intend on going for it, and to your point, even this season you might sneak into the playoffs, but you don't necessarily think even if you get in that you might win the World Series, why risk it with Jack Flaherty?
2: I think you can do things on a parallel path where – you're still giving your best because the Cardinals have all their young players up here, but also being realistic about your situation and building for next year. I would let Wainwright, Lester, Happ, Michaelis, Ponce de Leon start until LeBlanc is ready and then let him start. So your rotation, once LeBlanc is healthy, would be Waino, Lester, Happ, Michaelis, and LeBlanc. And then... With the performance we've seen since the All Star break of Alex Reyes and what we've seen from Gallegos and Cabrera, I would really closely monitor them and their innings, and take a look at the and the TJ McFarlands of the world. Find out where Andrew Miller is, although you probably won't bring him back. You you will get Justin Miller and Helsley back when they're healthy. I think there are things to do where you can protect yourself for 2022 because the same things that are happening with stress to Jack Flaherty are happening for other reasons to the relievers. They've just thrown so many innings and they've never done it before. And they're coming off of the 60 game season. There's going to be a lot of pitchers in Major League Baseball over the last six weeks. They're going to find themselves in a situation similar to Jack Flaherty.
3: And why you want to protect all all of the relievers, all the Latin Heat guys, I'm looking at Alex Reyes expressly. Number Number one, not only because of his injury history, but because you're intending for him to jump into the rotation next season. If that really is part of your plan, you want to make sure to, again, protect him at all costs. And I think the Cardinals are in such a precarious position right now because they are only four and a half games out. And I think If they can somehow scrap into the playoffs out of what we've seen from them this season, that's a feather in their cap. That's always the goal, is to make the postseason. And with the randomness of the postseason, do we right now look at this team and say they're a World Series contender? No. But if they get in, can anything happen? Of course. So you definitely want to still go for it because it's still within your eyesight. But you want to protect your future if you really think that next year is the year where you're going to circle and say, this is the year that we're going for it.
2: And I just... Well, I like the idea of not throwing in the towel this year. I think we also have to be realistic that the Cardinals have not been successful recently against the Reds. That's who they play after the Pirates at the end of this week. One more against the Tigers today, twelve fifteen. Then the, you're at Pittsburgh for four. But then you get Cincinnati and you're at Cincinnati and the Cardinals have not played well against the Reds of late. Then you get the Dodgers here for four. And I think even a compromised Dodgers team, we can agree that the, the, the best the Cardinals could hope for in a four-game series against the Dodgers is a split. That's my opinion. Then you have the Reds here again. Then you're at New York against the Mets, who are essentially the same team you are. They're, they've just lost all their starting pitching. Uh, then you get the Padres here, and they're in a free fall. But then you have to finish up with all those games against the Brewers, and you, you do have the four against the Cubs. I don't see the Cardinals with that schedule and with what I've seen from the Cardinals for 120 games, I don't see the Cardinals putting together a streak where they're going to be able to overtake the the Padres and the Reds.
3: But wouldn't you like them to attempt it? Wouldn't you like them to fight until the very end?
2: I My preference would be to protect their young players. And you, that exactly what you said. I think you can try, but I'm not going to run Gallegos into the ground. I'm not going to pitch him four straight days so that I can try to win games here because I, I see what's on the horizon. And I also want to find some things out. I want to find out more about Tommy Edmond. You have to find out if Tommy Edmond can be your leadoff hitter. Cardinal leadoff hitters have a 317 on base this year. you got to have at least a 330 on base from your leadoff hitter. Maybe Dylan Carlson is your leadoff hitter. Uh, maybe, I doubt they bring up Gorman, but you, you've got to figure out next year what your middle infield is going to look like. And you've got to figure out what your leadoff hitter is going to look like. And they don't have either right now. Uh, Tommy Edmond is a fine player, but I don't know if he's a 140 game second baseman to lead off. I don't think that Paul DeYoung is a championship shortstop. Good guy, smart guy. But in the last t- three seasons, the second the half of 2019, 2020, 2021, he didn't show me anything to lead me to believe that he's a championship shortstop. I've seen championship shortstops. I've seen. People that David Eckstein was a, an infinitely better player than Paul DeYoung is. Fred Ria, championship shortstop. Ozzie Smith, championship short shorts shortstop. I'm not seeing it. From this guy. All due respect, I mean, he's trying hard. It's not that he's not trying. Some guys, well, only 20,000 players have played Major League Baseball, and fewer than that have been championship shortstops. So it's nothing against him. It's just he's limited. So the Cardinals need to upgrade there, and they need to have a second baseman that can play 140 games. And one of those guys is going to have to be able to lead off because the lead off, and maybe Carlson is your lead off hitter, but you're going to have to get more production out of the, out of the middle infield.
3: I also wonder, from a mental standpoint, what seeing Jack Flaherty leave last night does for the team. Yes, they tried to fight back and ultimately fell short, but they know what life is like without Jack Mm -hmm. Flaherty. And it's a different attitude when... He comes out there and he's on the mound. Like yesterday before the game, it's Kobe Bryant Day. We know that Kobe Bryant was someone that Jack Flaherty really admired and looked up to. He he shows up to the ballpark in his Kobe jersey. It's Mamba mentality. And even though it didn't turn out that way, there's a different mentality that you have as a team and as a fan base watching Jack Flaherty go out there to start the game. And again, I, I want this team to fight till the very end because a lot of a lot of the players that we're seeing this year are going to be the players next mm-hmm. year. And I don't like their chances next year if there's going to be a let's wave the white flag mentality. And I don't for one second think that with Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina leading this team that the Cardinals are going to roll over. However, if they're being honest with themselves, watching Jack Flaherty leave that game last night and know that he's likely not going to pitch for the rest of the season, it does take a little bit of air out of your tires. Yeah,
2: the body language for the Zoom calls last night was... Notable it, with people like Mike Schilt and Harrison Bader. And I'm not saying the Cardinals shouldn't try hard. I'm just saying that they should protect their youngsters. I, I think it's smarter for them to think about winning in 2022 than 2021. We did mention Yadi gets a one year deal, $10 million, and John Mozalak with the announcement yesterday saying we're pleased to announce that Yachty has agreed to cement his career legacy with the Cardinals for a final season in 2022. His experience, leadership, work ethic, and winning desire are all part of what we value as an organization. So Yachty will be back. And another thing the Cardinals can do, if they had the conversation with him about perhaps sharing time and playing 120 games next year, rather than 130 or 140, find out about Andrew Kisner get a little bit more action for him in the last six weeks of the season, too.
3: This seems like a good opportunity. Yachty's been dealing with some lingering injury stuff throughout the season. This feels like a good opportunity to see what you have in Andrew Kisner. Um, I think it's interesting that Yachty is back on another one-year deal because isn't this what he initially wanted last offseason was Mm -hmm. to come back for two more years? Mm -hmm. So he essentially gets what he wanted all along. Could have saved everyone a little bit of drama by just getting the two-year deal, but I Mm -hmm. understand where the Cardinals were coming from. But it's nice to know that this has already worked out and it's one domino the Cardinals are not concerned about figuring out this offseason hopefully Adam Wainwright is not far behind and he'll come back with his brother for another year but I think it's nice to know that Yachty is going to be back and from everything that we're reading that's been reporting it's likely his final season and that he'll get a, a very very well-deserved yeah. farewell tour
2: and think about how dynamic he was in the first half of this season if you could have that level of freshness in September that, to me, is the key for Yachty. He, he can still perform at an extraordinarily high level, but I don't think that he can do it through the heat of the St. Louis summer like he did when he was 25 or 30 or even 35. And so I hope that the Cardinals can keep him fresh for a pennant race run. And I know that he thinks that, because he works out to play every game. Yeah. But at some point, somebody's got to oversee the situation and say, hey, Yachty, we'll sit you down on Sundays. We'll have another catcher for Sundays. You can play every other game. But for those 26 Sundays that we're going to play during the season, you're going to sit. And that way we'll have a fresh Yachty Molina for September.
3: Yeah, the approach needs to be we need you. Mm -hmm. We need you down the stretch. And we need to do what's in your best interest and our best interest, whether you like it or not.
2: And by the way, he offensively has performed reasonably well in August he hasn't his defense isn't what it was there's been a couple of wild pitches that I think he would have gotten to in the past but those are what they are that's Michelle I'm Randy we're off and running here on 101 ESPN coming up we've got ask Uncle Randy get your text into the air comfort service text line 65780 it is Wednesday it is hump day it is ask Uncle Randy Day with Carricker and Smallman on 101 101- we're right back to the
1: Carrier and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN
2: I've been around, you know. Been around a while, and that's why we have Ask Uncle Randy every Wednesday morning here on 101 ESPN. Because if you have things that you're concerned about in your life, if you've got job questions, if you've got relationship questions, hey, I am here, I have a lot of experience And so we ask Uncle Randy, all you need to do is text in Michelle has your questions for me And I'm happy to provide my best answer Michelle, what do we have this morning?
3: All right, Randy, first one from the 573 Dear Uncle Randy, my fiancé recently broke off our engagement Unexpectedly two weeks ago and left But we have a cruise planned together in January How do I approach this situation with her?
2: Okay, so the cruise obviously has been paid for She has, if she's leaving, and it's going to be January So we've got uh, the whole month of September, October, November, and December We've got four months I'm kind of thinking that even though it was a fiancé You're probably going to go all J-Lo and Ben and move on within the next four months I wouldn't approach this with her at all. I would take this cruise. I would make it either a buddy cruise or find your next love interest. But you know what? Go out and when you hit a port of call, bring your golf clubs, go play some golf. Have some fun with a friend, a real friend that's not going to leave you.
3: But then he has to tell her that he's taking the tickets, I'm assuming. Yeah.
2: Well, she left. It's on her. So, yeah, yeah either either that's make it a guy one. or here, one other thing that you can do is if you have a great relationship with your parents and your parents are still together, gift it to them.
3: Oh, good idea. Yeah, maybe she'll be a little bit more amenable to that.
2: Yeah, I don't care about her anymore. Hey, if, if a character swalman listener is engaged and somebody bails on, well, we, not, don't, on know a, we don't know what he did. not matter what he did. Uh, we know he's listening.
3: That's we, true, we so we're, we're on your that. side We're on your side <laughs>
2: <laughs> So yeah, so, so those are my two ideas Three ideas actually Maybe a significant other will pop up in the next three months Kind of hard to do that uh, And try to get the cruise going Unless it's you know a quick fling But best friend, play some golf Go out and have some fun at Ports of Call Or gift it to the parents
3: Next one is from the 618. Dear Uncle Randy, I am Mr. Competitive. I've played sports all my life. My daughter is finally starting sports and has her first pre-K soccer practice tonight. How do I mentally prepare myself for the circus that will be this first practice?
2: Okay. There's two things that you have to remember here. Number one, it is her first practice this is not going to be competitive what you're going to see is a beehive of activity (laughs) you can see a bunch of little kids running around with a ball that you can't see with it within them so don't think of it as a competitive event this is an exercise event for her tonight It'll get competitive later, and the best players will show themselves. But the worst thing you can do as a competitive person, and I get where you're coming from, is to make any noise at all when your kid has the ball or when your team is playing. This should not be competitive. This is something where it's all about The kids having a good time and having fun and going out and getting their orange slices afterwards or or whatever it might be in the heat of St. Louis right now going and getting their ice cream or their Fritz's frozen custard. But first practice for and even if you're the coach, first practice, first year is all about fun and getting the kids engaged and enjoying the sport.
3: Yeah, you want to make sure that. That your kid loves it yeah. So that they want to continue I will say though, hot tip When I was a kid, my dad told me Whenever the beehive is Stand on the outside of the beehive Whatever you do, don't get in the middle So then the ball would pop out I would get it and I would score So that's a way for your kid to look like a superstar Just teach them to not stand in the middle of the beehive Boom, they will score
2: But when your kid does score Don't act like or Molina Just hit a walk-off home run
3: Yeah, Don't Don't act like this is the David Freeze moment
2: no because The kid ultimately if if you are Going crazy even if you're going crazy Cheering the kid's gonna Be embarrassed
3: Even at pre-k though yeah I don't remember that far back but Okay from the 815 dear uncle Randy My girlfriend has her birthday coming up on the Fifth and our one year dating anniversary On the 23rd all right which one Do I go all out for
2: I would say that in this unique situation, you go all out for the birthday because it's your first birthday with her. So and hopefully the first of many birthdays that you will spend together. So I would say that would be the play to go all out on. And then for your one year dating anniversary, you can do flowers and a dinner. And I think she'll be more than satisfied with that.
3: What about rolling the two together? What like? Do a weekend away or something, and say this is your birthday and our anniversary.
2: No, I don't th- that early on. I don't like to do the combination. Later on, you can do the combination, but those are two separate, and I believe should be both really celebrated events. Your your first her first birthday together with you, I think, should be special and unique. And then you're only going to have one one year dating anniversary. So I think you should make both of them special and unique.
3: From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, I schedule virtual meetings with associates from all U.S. time zones. To avoid complaints, I rotated the times to accommodate, but now they're complaining about always having different meeting times. What do I do?
2: Okay, so you've got all four time zones. I would say that you go to them and say, okay, what's your favorite meeting time? and I know it might be inconvenient for you But if you could do 9 o'clock in the east 9 o'clock in the central 9 o'clock in the mountain 9 o'clock in the pacific That's the way I would do it So that they all have the same time And make it consistent If they're upset about the inconsistency Then make it consistent for them Now it might be inconsistent for you Although you are up at 725 To do a 9 o'clock for them is 11 for you right Uh, That's the way I would do it I would just have a certain Set it up so that they know exactly when that meeting is And whatever time it is 8 o'clock their time, 9 o'clock You don't want to make it 8 o'clock their time Because that's Eastern time, 8, 7 central Now you're alright So if you make every meeting at 8 o'clock their time 9 o'clock their time, 10 o'clock their time I think that's cool I think for the most part as an employee, I think we both like, Michelle, having a level of consistency and knowing when we're going to have our meetings scheduled every mm-hmm. week and then never having the meeting.
3: <laughs> we never have them. But at least we know when it's yeah, supposed right. to be every week.
2: <laughs> and it shows up on our calendar on our phone. So that's a good thing, too.
3: Yeah, for sure. OK, we're going to close this out with two baby questions for okay. you, Uncle Randy. First one from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy, I found out last week that my wife is pregnant. Congratulations. Congratulations. When do you stop worrying or how do you stop worrying?
2: Okay, you never stop worrying They can be 27 and 23 And you'll never stop worrying There's no way Now, for the pregnancy And for the early part of the baby's life There are no classes that teach you How to raise a child But you just know It's logic it's, uh, And things are going to happen Joan dropped Patrick on the floor one time And <laughs> called the doctor It happens he, you know, He was wet coming out of the bath Boom, it happens So things are going to happen that you're going to have to deal with.
3: I can't imagine the panic in that moment as a new parent, though. Oh, my gosh.
2: But you'll be fine. And, yes, you have to be concerned about the long-term welfare of your child, and you will be. But I can tell you from experience, you don't have to be afraid. Just treat it like It's your child Treat it like it's the most precious possession That you'll ever have And the baby will be fine And one bit of advice I have In going through uh, the process Is when you have the the classes The Lamaz classes And the child care classes Before the baby is born Make sure that you are engaged in those Go with your wife Have a good time But make sure that you're engaged with those And don't treat it like Oh, I gotta go to another one of these Because it is your baby ultimately
3: Okay, last one from the 636. Dear Uncle Randy, I'm having a baby tomorrow. Oh, congrats. Congratulations. Any last-minute advice?
2: Okay, last-minute advice from Randy for having a baby tomorrow. Okay, a couple of experiences for me. On the morning that the baby is coming home, if the baby's coming home in the late afternoon, don't play golf because you'll never hear the end of it. (laughs) If your job is taking you away, make sure that everything is well-organized. Otherwise... Even if you go, you'll never hear the end of it. Uh, mentally prepare. Okay, so you, I, I assume this is the first show. Mentally prepare for being grossed out. Because I thought I was going to throw up, but I mentally prepared myself for seeing what was going to happen. And so I think if you mentally prepare yourself to not throw up, you're better off doing it. And then savor the yeah. moment, too, because it is... It's your child And you have to It's going to be something that you want to remember forever So you don't want to have that That grossed out blackout So be mentally prepared And just remember it in your mind's eye And then the other things are Obviously, make sure that bag is completely packed with all of the stuff that she needs with clothes. Hey, make sure that she has makeup. She's going to want to have makeup uh, for after the baby is born because she's going to feel kind of gross and ugly. And so for photos. Yep. Yep. And so and make sure it's different. When I was uh, having kids, we didn't have phones or cameras in our phones. So. For Katie, I actually forgot to bring a camera because it was snowing. It was I, We oh, told you that right. story that's with right. uh, Ann Morgan. So uh, I had to pick up one of those little disposable cameras at the uh, at the gift store at the hospital. So make sure that you, as you go through today, just have that mental checklist to make sure that you have everything in that bag that you're taking to the hospital. And then enjoy the experience and savor the experience because you only have a first one once. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Thank and you, Thanks, Uncle Randy. Those, thanks, th- thanks for those... Uh, very serious questions. And that's stuff that I can share from experience. Both of my kids, I, I've never heard the end of going out and playing golf on the morning that Patrick came home. Joan was sleeping and the baby was sleeping. They they weren't doing anything. So I could go and sit next to them or I could go in and get a quick nine. So I went and got a quick nine in. Ooh. And then with Katie, I had. So Katie was supposed to be born on a Monday. Uh, she's born on a Friday. Rams are playing in New Orleans. I'm covering the Rams. <laughs> On Sunday, so she's born on Friday, so I changed my flights. At least I didn't fly out on Saturday afternoon. I flew out the last flight I could get on Saturday night. So literally 24 hours after my kid's born, I'm on uh, Bourbon Street.
3: (laughs) You know that I'm having
2: dinner, though, it wasn't partying. You were celebrating
3: the birth of your child.
2: Absolutely was.
3: Now, that one I can understand because it's work related. The golf one, Randy, you should have sat there and stared.
2: Never heard the end of it. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) After
3: everything that your wife just went through, I'm sure I wouldn't be (laughs) pleased either.
2: (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Minus the Big 12 have announced an alliance. So, how effective is this really going to be for them? That's next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs>
2: As you know, earlier this summer, Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave the Big 12 and to join the SEC, and there has been reaction now. As was mentioned last week and yesterday was revealed in a press conference, the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 announced yesterday an alliance that they hope will stabilize what they're calling a volatile environment. Heather Dinich of ESPN writing, while there's no contractual agreement between the three leagues as far as it relates to the alliance and nothing in writing that prevents them from poaching each other's teams, The message conveyed was that the creation of the partnership lessens any incentive for poaching from other leagues. The Big 12 basically is done because of the SEC coming in. And so to try to catch up, for example, with the SEC, you could see the Big 10 going after a couple of ACC schools or maybe uh, getting a couple of of Pac-12 schools. With this gentleman's agreement, as the commissioner of the Pac-12 called it, that apparently will not happen
3: do you believe that this gentleman's agreement will stand? Because I think that's a very dangerous game to play is for these conferences to just look each other in the eye and trust one another. Because it seems like college athletics right now is a ship without a captain. The NCAA is not involved in any of this stuff. And we're entering a new world where the SEC is doing what it wants and these three other conferences are essentially banding together to fight the SEC. That just shows you the power of the SEC, that you have the three other premier conferences in college athletics having to form an alliance to combat one other conference. But I just we know the name of the game is money. Follow the money. And while right now it seems like everything's hunky dory with with these three conferences and that they're all aligned with one another. We know that that can change very quickly.
0: I think one
2: of the problems they have and one of the reasons that I believe the alliance will stand is because. ESPN has not only spent its money, but it's committed its prime inventory in terms of time to the SEC for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So if the Big Ten would, for example, go out and get Oregon and USC and perform, uh, develop a, a national college football league that is basically from the Midwest out to the West Coast, and they tried to sell it to ESPN, ESPN's going to say, well, we've got an SEC game on ESPN 1 on Saturday night. We've got uh, an ABC game on Saturday night. So we can give you Saturday afternoons or ESPN 2, but we're not going to pay as much money as we're paying for the SEC. So I don't think it really makes sense at this point in time for those schools to do that, because they know that there are limitations in terms of what ESPN can do. Fox isn't going to do it. Fox isn't going to spend that kind of of money on college football, and they aren't going to have the draw. Even if they're on Big Fox, they won't get as many eyes as the SEC on ABC will. So I think from a time standpoint, it makes sense just for these guys to get together and have this gentleman's agreement and try to as they're calling it, stabilize the environment.
3: Didn't it seem like ESPN was the big elephant in the room totally. during all of this? Um, you know, when you have the Pac-12 saying, the more people who are telling stories in college athletics and on multiple platforms, the better off we are altogether. I'm paraphrasing there, but they're they're talking about ESPN. They're talking about the SEC and that partnership. And you're right. It is essentially these three conferences versus the SEC and versus ESPN, which, as we had read previously has been a major player in all of this a major player in Texas and Oklahoma wanting to come in and it seems like ESPN may be the puppeteer behind a lot of this
2: I don't think there's any doubt here's Paul Feinbaum of ESPN in the past
5: I'll just point you to last summer for uh, for a point of reference in alliances usually uh, in years past the SEC's closest friend among conferences has been the ACC. Uh, I think in 2008, the ACC and the SEC tried to get the uh, plus one enacted. It didn't work. As far as alliances, the SEC and and the Big 12 have been close over the years. Uh, The the Sugar Bowl uh, tie-in between the Big 12 and the SEC, the, the Big 12 SEC Basketball Alliance. That's all over now. And what, what all these other leagues are saying is the SEC has left us behind. To me, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for proud conferences like the Pac-12. Well, let me, let me scratch that. Like the Big Ten and the ACC to join with the Pac-12 and pretty well admit that we're having to combine forces to compete with the SEC. And I still I cannot wait for the explanation next week when these commissioners get together about why they left out the Big 12. That's where all this began. Uh, the SEC allegedly raided the Big 12, uh, but these guys are not backing them up either.
3: Well, it's pretty apparent why the Big 12 was left out because they don't have the juice anymore with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. And part of this alliance in regards to television deals is about these conferences reducing one league game from 9 to to 8 to start a scheduling alliance because of their television deals that are up in the next three years. The rights are up in the next three years. So they're looking at the the organizations or i should say the institutions like USC, Ohio State, Michigan, UCLA, Washington they're looking at those potential matchups as attractive time slots to juice up these television deals. And when you're dealing with the Big 12, and make no mistake, this has to do with college football, period. When you're dealing with the Big 12, when Texas and Oklahoma are out of the mix, what do you have that's very attractive from a television rights standpoint?
2: I'll I'll ask you the question. You can give me a yes or no. Is Baylor attractive? No. Texas Tech? No. Oklahoma State? No. Iowa State? A little. KU? No. K-State? No. West Virginia? No. TCU. No. That's what they have left. That's it.
3: Not, And we're talking strictly from if I'm a suit and I'm talking about the college football slate and putting together matchups that I know are going to draw eyeballs to my screen. None of them. None of them. Oklahoma always in the mix, or at least has been the past few years in the college football playoff. And Texas is Texas. People will hate watch Texas, even if they're not good.
2: So where does this leave the Big 12? Here's Ryan McGee. Bill Sr., the founder of NASCAR, had a saying where he used to talk about the past. The desert of the past is littered with the bones of those who, when they had a chance to move forward, hesitated. The Big 12 has had a decade. It's been a decade since Missouri and Texas A&M left for the SEC, and they hesitated. And so it, there was one question thrown out to these commissioners today about the Big 12, and it was kind of, well, bless their hearts. We wish them the best going forward. We love Bob Vol- Bowlesby. We'll see. That's all they had to say. Well, they Mm. didn't invite him on their Zoom call for this alliance. So I think that the reality is there is expansion coming uh, among the power four. And I think the Big 12, unfortunately, uh, is going to get picked as opposed to survive. I agree with that. And I really don't know where those schools go, because if you're trying to enhance your TV footprint, which is what this is all about, we just ran down the list of schools, there's nobody in a market where you say, okay, or that has the national brand where you say, okay, I want that that program in my conference.
3: I don't know where they go either, because one of my other takeaways from this, that it seems like the Big Ten isn't interested in expanding, that they think this alliance can provide what they need without them having to expand. Mm -hmm. Kevin Warren, the commissioner, said that they're constantly going to evaluate the terrain, but that expansion is not something that they're really interested in right now.
2: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to visit with Brett Bielma. The new head coach at Illinois has his first game this weekend against Nebraska. That's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Randy Carriker and Illini grad Michelle Smallman with you. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line getting ready for his first game as the head coach of the Illini this weekend is Brett Bielema. It's a 12:20 start on Fox on Saturday. Coach, thank you very much for taking some time with us this morning. How is preparation going as you get ready?
6: Hey, buddy, Randy, it's been uh, fun to finally get into game week. We got practice here in about a half hour, so um it's uh, one of those things that's starting to spin pretty fast, but I, I know our guys are excited.
3: Coach, how excited are you? Not only your first game as the head coach at Illinois, but your first game back in college football in a while. It has to be something that you've looked forward to for a while.
6: It has, Michelle. You know, to be back uh, uh, in the college football world, especially in my home state, you know, to be able to be a part of this and, and, and you know, really special opportunity, right, to, to – know how the college football season went a year ago with COVID and all the cancellations, and now to be opening up the college football season for the entire world of college football, you know that as an Illinois grad, to to be here right in Champaign-Urbana is pretty special.
2: Hey, Brett, you had the, I, I believe, advantage of taking over a team that had a lot of players coming back, a lot of experience. As you've gone through training camp, how has that experience manifested itself? And has it been an advantage for you?
6: You know, um, from the time I walked into that first meeting uh, to where we are today, I, I told the young men in that room, "Listen, I'm coming in as the newest member of this family. Right? I'm coming in for the first time. You don't know me, don't know me uh, personally or as a coach. So let's let's get to know each other and kind of walk this walk together. And that's when the whole uh, family team kind of started. Uh, literally in our first meeting to where we are today, to have have uh, you know over 40 seniors. Right? Uh, it, it's just." We lead the, the entire country in and, and, and football seniors and super seniors. And I think any time you have veterans that experience, even though it's a new coaching staff, that has to be a positive. The problem is we have to uh, be able to blend that together in a short amount of time and then obviously move them forward uh, to be able to make sure that we develop the guys underneath them
2: as well. So with that being the case, is the identity of this 2021 edition of the Illini a, a typical identity of, of a Brett Bielma team?
6: You know, I, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of carryover. Um, you know, there's there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, as coaches, we believe in certain principles. But, you know, I hired an offensive and defensive coordinator that I'd never been with in the past. I wanted to come in and put in a playbook that was unique to Illinois, both offense, defense, and then Ben Miller on special teams. So I, I know there'll be, you know, some, some commonalities, but I would say that Illinois is going to be Illinois, right? Um, for us to be where we want to be and to get done what we needed to get done, we have to, you know, blend in with a with the unit we have here, and those seniors are a big part of it. But also, you know, incoming talent. You know, a guy a guy from the St. Louis area who who really is a, a special player for us, uh, Isaiah Williams, who transferred uh, from the quarterback position to the wide receiver position. He's going to factor in a big way, and 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 that's a totally new look for him as a player, which obviously will turn our, our offense in a different direction as well.
3: Coach, you just said we need to get to where we want to be. Do you have a measuring stick to determine what a successful season would look like for Illinois this year?
6: Michelle, it, it, you know, week, week one of year one um, is not going to you know, change uh, hopefully 10 years from now on week 10. Um, I just believe in, in taking the day for what it is, that we're better at the end of today than we were when we started, and tomorrow we're better than where we were today. We're going to be making progress. Um, and that helps you because – you know, it puts in perspective where we're at right now, but also, you know, at the, at the end of my last tenure in the big 10, we won three straight big 10 titles and that mantra was still the same, right? You can't be measured off yesterday's success. It's about what you do tomorrow. And, um, I think that's something that will be a study in our program to kind of measure where we're at.
2: Brett Bielma with us on 101 ESPN. And Coach's first game with the Illini is Saturday, twelve twenty on Fox against Nebraska. Coach, you mentioned those uh, last few years with Wisconsin where I thought your team really imposed its will. And that's something that, that's an attitude that you have to build with a group of players, isn't it? Where you go into a game saying, okay, we're going to do this. We don't really care what the opposition does. We're going to do what we do successfully, and that's how we're going to win.
6: Yeah, you know, there's a. am not a big slogan or a bunch of rules, um, but we tell our players three things on a daily basis, right? Like this carries them through uh, the first game of the season to the last and every day in the odyssey. season. The first thing is do what's right every day, right? We all got choices to do what's right. Second thing, uh, be respectful of others. I think the world would be a better place uh, if just everybody respects people they come across they know or they don't know and treat them the right way. And the third one kind of plays into what you, you're saying, Randy, is you know, to be the best you, right? Every day if we wake up. I only know how to be Brett Bielamo, right? I don't know how to be anybody else. Um, Brandon Peters, he's our starting quarterback. I want him to be the best Brandon Peters that day he could possibly be. And for us to be the Illini football team every week, we can't be somebody else. We can't try to be something we're not. We just have to be who we are. And and you know, the demeanor of that team you mentioned referenced that was kind of their mo. I do think there'll be a lot of that to carry forward, but. Um, every day we're just going to try to be the best version of ourselves.
3: And I'm sure, Coach, in order to be the best version of yourself, you need to lock down the borders. I know that capturing the state has been an important goal of the program, and you've had success early on recruiting in-state, and we know Chicago is always going to be the big gem here. But how important is making sure that you have a solid foothold in places like East St. Louis and the Metro East, places that are listening to us right now? How important is that to the plan?
6: It's it's absolutely essential. Um, one of the things I really did in my first month on the job here was, you know, look at the five-hour radius uh, around Champaign-Urbana and what, what that means and what we can bring in. You know, kids that don't have to get on airplanes, they just hop in a car and get here, A, for a visit in the beginning stages, but also once they're here, their family can get here. They can still, you know, be allocated to, um, you know, being a, a, in an environment where they're close enough to get home, but they're far enough away to be away from home. Um, you know, we, we we unfortunately lost one of our really good players, Jordan Slaughter, at the start of the year. I know he's an L12 grad like yourself. Like, even in the in, in Missouri, Illinois, that, that greater St. Louis area, um, I hired Terry Hawthorne out of East St. Louis, right? I, this is an important area for us. To You know, we're not going to get every kid that comes out of there, but if we can get in the race and, and we'll see where we can finish, but – We have to be in there swinging away, Um, and now that we begin to open up this recruiting cycle um, that that has been closed basically for about a year and a half, it's going to be essential for us to have success in that area early.
2: And, Coach, I know that there's a lot of kids driving to school right now and a lot of fathers of kids that are are football players. What's your message to the young football player in the St. Louis area? You know, um,
6: the the things that are going to make them great while they're in high school, you know, being around family, being around coaches that develop, being around parents that – know the difference between telling them yes every day and occasionally telling them no, Um, that's what you're going to get from us, right? I'm not trying to be a dad or an uncle, a brother or a high school coach or, or a cousin or a friend. I'm trying to be their head coach. And it's going to be someone that, you know, at the end of their career, hopefully they can turn around, look around and look behind them uh, to the left and right and what's in front of them and say, how the heck did I get here? Right? How's this, this has been pretty awesome and it's only going to keep getting better and, and, that's the kind of thing that I think could continue to build, especially in this world of transfers and 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 grad transfers and portals. Right? We want to get kids to develop and understand that it's not going to just be a better road. Right? You're going to have occasional thorns, and to get where we need to be, um, it's going to be a journey with people that you love.
3: All right, Coach. Well, let's look forward to Saturday. We're also excited for the season to kick off. What have you seen out of Nebraska during your preparations for this game?
6: You know, uh, I, I would say the the thing that just you know, has constantly showed up um, uh, is you know just the evolution of their program, right? This is Scott's uh, fourth year coming into it, and and um, has constantly uh, you know ramped up the I believe the personnel, uh, their offensive and defensive lines. They got a lot of experience back uh, at key positions. So they have a quarterback that was just voted a, a, a third-time captain. That's never happened. Think about the history of Nebraska football, right? He's been voted a captain for the third time in his career. That doesn't just happen, right? So they they believe in their signal caller on defense. Uh, you know, they've had steady improvement. They're aggressive. they big physical people that play. So we've got our work cut out for us in these early ball games. It's about how you execute the plan. Uh, but more importantly, for the first time as coaches, we're going to be around players we've never really been with in adversity. So when that adversity strikes, we have to have the right answers.
2: Coach, a couple more quick things. Number one, I love all the Illini jerseys. I love the orange. I love the blue. What are you going with on Saturday? Well, Randy,
6: that's why we got to buy a ticket and get in the stadium <laughs> uh, or, 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 or be sitting on your couch. But, uh, you know, we've done a steady kind of reveal. Um, it's going to be, be out there probably in the next 48 hours. Uh, I, I think I, I, I speak for a lot of people when I, I really want to honor the traditions of the past and also take a step into the future. So uh, there's some limitations uh, with Nike and stuff. You can't really change a uniform, per se, uh, you know, the, the dynamics of it within a year. It's got to take a couple-year process. But I think it's safe to say there'll be some changes that a lot of people will be happy about.
2: And then finally, before we let you go, and I know you're focusing completely on the game, but your conference, along with the, the Pac-12 and the ACC, had the, uh, meet, the press conference yesterday. The commissioner is saying that they hope to com- the schedule together so that the Big Ten would be playing a lot of Pac-12 and ACC games in the future. I just want to get your take on that and how you feel about it.
6: Well, I, I know, you know, first and foremost, you know, I'm a college football coach, but I'm a college football fan, right? And anything that... You know, builds uh, some, um, you know, cross conference uh, uh, expectations, rivalries, whatever the key word is. I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, obviously, the Big Ten has been a, a place that I believed in. You know, I've been in it as a player, an assistant coach, a coordinator, and a head coach. Uh, this conference is, in my opinion, the best in the country. And I would, I would say the, the leadership from here on campus with us at Illinois with Josh Whitman and the Big Ten Conference and how to combine forces with, uh, you know, other conferences on the east and west of us. It's truly, from a recruiting standpoint, a dream come true. And now as a as a head coach that knows that we're trying to build brand identity with the with conference and within our own fan base, I think it's nothing but a positive.
2: Coach, good luck on Saturday. Thanks so much for the time today. And hopefully as this season unfolds, we'll be able to do this on somewhat of a regular basis. I appreciate Randy. And Michelle, ILL.
3: I and I, Coach. Go get him on Saturday.
2: Thank you very much. That is Brett beelman the, the new head coach at Illinois. And uh, he's got me fired up. I'm ready to go.
3: That's right. Me too. I'm pumped for the Brett Bielma era to begin.
2: And there's nothing wrong with having a team, and Wisconsin did it under Brett Bielma, where you just impose your will. And it's not historically really wide open, but now you can play that game because people aren't set up to defend what Brett Bielma is coaching. So it'll be fun to watch what they do on Saturday noon game on Fox against Nebraska. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Cardinals fall Four to three to the Tigers last night, and Jack Flaherty got hurt. So how do the Cardinals approach that injury? That's next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) (laughs)
2: 03 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, and Jack Flaherty left his start against the Tigers last night in the third inning with what was described as shoulder tightness. And Michelle, obviously, whenever a pitcher leaves a start with an injury, you're concerned. But so much more goes into this because it is Jack Flaherty and because it is his shoulder. Mm -hmm. It's like the perfect storm of concern for a Cardinal fan this morning.
3: Of course. Um, And we don't know the severity of it, but I will say... or I guess I will ask you, does it make you feel more or less concerned that it's something that they were monitoring, that the Cardinals and the medical staff were monitoring for the entire week leading up to the start?
2: More concerned for me, because if he was experiencing tightness and irritation and then started the game and it got worse, then that makes me really concerned. If if it would have been actually if he would not have started if they would have said you know we're gonna push him back a start just because he's got a little irritation in the shoulder I wouldn't have felt like I do right now but when he has shoulder tightness and he experienced it for apparently the week leading up to this start that is bothersome to me because shoulders are so dicey we remember Mark Mulder and how he never really bounced back from the shoulder injury you mentioned Michael Walker earlier and it's easier for pitchers to come back from elbows now than and shoulders, and if it is a serious shoulder injury, then we're we should be really concerned about
3: it. I wonder if it ha- is anyway related to the oblique. Sometimes, when you're rehabbing, you're putting more pressure or more. Uh, more what am I more weight on different parts of your body I don't know if it has anything to do with that but to me it's almost a little less concerning that it's something that he was monitoring throughout the week because he was clearly felt like he could pitch through it so it wasn't that alarming and obviously last night we saw in the second inning the results were not there for him and clearly something was up and it was the right decision to remove him and if I'm the Cardinals even if it's a one On the Richter scale or on the concern scale, or it's a 10, I'm not starting him for the rest of the season. And And I know he's a competitor and he's not going to want that. And the Cardinals are still in the hunt for the postseason. But when you're looking ahead, Jack Flaherty is too valuable for you to risk it at this point.
2: And he did want to power through. He wanted to keep pitching because that's just who Jack Flaherty is. But with competitors like that, the best thing to do many times is just to take charge of a situation and... Let him work his way up to 2022. Let him get that side as healthy as it can be. Let him exercise that shoulder so it can be as healthy as it can be. We had Will Carroll on a couple of weeks ago, for the, the injury expert, and asked why we don't see torn rotator cuffs anymore. He said because we've got exercises to prevent guys from tearing their rotator cuffs. Mm. So the best thing that you can do for a shoulder – is avoid the idea of surgery. It's to do all the preemptive work so that it's as strong as possible. So we've given our levels of concern for Jack Flaherty in the shoulder. What does Mike Schilt think? I mean, it's clearly concern. You know, I mean, he had to come out of a game. So, um, you know, it's it's frustrating for him. Frustrating for us. I mean, today was a rough day, you know. I mean, by far the best part of the day was Yadier and you know, it's huge news, but, um, you know, you get that news for the game, get excited about it. And then, you know, we got to scratch in O'Neill and Jack's, you know, got to come in, come out after the third. So, you know, there's some concern there when you're when your ace has to go down again. And Michelle, I'm with you. You have enough insurance that you can play and pitch without Jack Flaherty for the rest of this season. You've got Wainwright, you've got Lester, you've got Hap. Michaelis is back. You've got Ponce de Leon. Wade LeBlanc is going to be back very soon. Actually, KK looked pretty good last night. The Cardinals aren't really enthusiastic about starting him for the rest of the season. But there are pitchers that could go for the Cardinals and that could give them five innings that will give them an opportunity to win. Are you going to to have the potential dominance of a guy like Jack Flaherty if you shut him down for the rest of the season? No. The only guy on the staff that can do that is Adam Wainwright. But I'm certainly looking ahead to 2022 for Jack Flaherty because I don't want to risk his future.
3: No, he's too important. He's he's too important to this club. And... If you really want to be a contender next season, you know that you need Jack Flaherty. Even if Adam Wainwright does return, we've seen the the residue of what happens when your number one guy goes down. It's, it's been a completely different year with Jack Flaherty being injured. And I wonder from a momentum standpoint, from a, a mental standpoint, what seeing him leave the game last night does for this Cardinals yeah. team. They're professionals and these are competitors and they're going to want to rally and, and fight no matter what. But deep down in the recesses of their brain and in the deepest chambers of their heart, they know that they probably slumped a little bit seeing him have to leave that game last night.
2: Don't you think, especially because of what happened happened in L.A. on Memorial Day. If you're on that field or in that dugout, you just say, come on. Can't we get a break?
3: Yeah, for real. (laughs) That was the entire thing that gave the fan base a little bit of hope, a modicum of hope, is that the Cardinals were getting healthy and they're still in the hunt. And if you have the one-two punch of Jack Flaherty and Adam Wainwright, you kind of like your chances with this team. And if you move Jack Flaherty from that equation, all of a sudden it makes everything look a little different.
2: And we did hear Mike Schultz say that the highlight of the day was the Yadier Molina announcement. He assigned a one-year deal, $10 million for what John Mozeliak says is his final season in baseball. And obviously, the Cardinals looked at what was available in free agency among catchers this year and said, we aren't going to do any better than the guy that we have. And he's been here for 18 years, and he can become the third Cardinal Hall of Famer following Stan Musial and Bob Gibson that never played for another franchise, which to me is a big deal, and I know it is for the DeWitts. Witt family. So having Yadier Molina back under the correct circumstances and I don't think you can run him into the ground at 39 years old is a net benefit for the Cardinals.
3: Yeah, think about how rare that is, especially in the modern day, for one player, especially at the level of Yadier or Molina, to play the entirety of their career with one franchise. Mm-hmm. It's really special. And I know that that was important to the Cardinals and it was important to Yadi. And I hope that they did have those conversations prior to him signing. In the reporting from Katie Wu and Derek Gould and others, it seems like this was something Yadi wanted to get done earlier because he didn't want to have to deal with the stressors of another offseason where he didn't know what his future held. And so I hope. That with those conversations Being initiated a little bit earlier That the Cardinals also stepped up and said Yeah of course we would like to have you back But there's going to be some stipulations Because we need to protect ourselves And more importantly protect you For when we need you down the stretch
2: And Adam Wainwright told the story last year of how he and Yachty were sitting on a bus and he said, hey, what's what's going to happen with us next year? Because neither of them knew. We'll ask Adam when he joins us at 9.30 how this influences his decision as to whether or not to come back.
3: I would imagine there's a lot of factors at play there, but to know that Yachty's coming back, I'm sure that that works its way into the mind of adam wayne right if he's if he's trying to decide one way or the other but with the way that he's pitching and the competitor that he is i unless it's that he really wants to spend more time with his family i can't think of one reason why he shouldn't come back
2: no he's pitching as better than any cardinal and better than all but a select few in major league baseball he's one of the top 10 starters in major league baseball this year
3: Absolutely. So, hopefully, his uh, his announcement is not too far behind. I wonder if he'll wait till the end of the season to focus on something like that. But the sooner we can get that bit of news, the better.
2: And the Cardinals do have a day game today. Twelve fifteen, John Lester going against Tariq Skubal, and uh, that game is at twelve fifteen. Danny Mack will have the call on Bally Sports. That is today's Fresh Take here on One Hundred One ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls.
1: We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101
2: ESPN. We have the fight in about 15 minutes. ESPN's Jeff Saturday at 9 and then Adam Wainwright at 930. But right now it's time for...
0: You're killing me,
3: Smalls. So, Randy, you may have seen over the weekend, A.J. McCarron, Falcons backup, unfortunately tore his ACL in Saturday's preseason loss to our Dolphins. Mm-hmm really sad news for him. Uh, Undrafted rookie Felipe Franks was the guy who got the call after that, and he was the only reserve quarterback on the team after the McCarron injury to back up Matt Ryan. So the Atlanta Falcons announced yesterday that they've signed 24-year-old free agent quarterback Josh Rosen to the team. He had recently been released by the San Francisco 49ers, and so Josh Rosen with another team in the NFL getting another shot here as a backup.
2: And I still, and it's kind of like AJ McCarron for me. I always thought AJ McCarron was going to be better, but he never got an opportunity. Rosen started off the 10th pick with the Cardinals and was with a terrible team with a one-and-done coach, and they jettisoned him because they get the number one pick in the draft and draft Kyler Murray, goes to Miami, and doesn't really get much of any opportunity to start. He's only started three games since the Cardinals traded him after his rookie year, but he was in a bad situation in Miami. They fired their head coach, and now... Last year, he spent some time on the practice squad of Tampa and then wound up in San Francisco where he wasn't getting reps because they want to get reps for Garoppolo and Trey Lance. And so they cut him because he he had not had a spectacular camp, but he also said he wished he got more reps. He'll get an opportunity to get reps now because Felipe Franks is limited in what his throwing abilities are. And in my opinion, Josh Rosen is a better fit for what that offense does under Arthur Smith than Felipe Franks is. He's got more Tannehill in him than Felipe Franks does. And Arthur Smith did turn Ryan Tannehill into a pretty good NFL quarterback. I'll be interested to see what happens with Rosen there because I think he's better than what we've seen so far.
3: That might be one of the biggest L's I've ever taken during that draft process with that much-discussed quarterback class. It was Baker, it was Josh Allen, it was Darnold, it was Rosen, right? And Lamar Jackson later. Mm -hmm. uh, He was drafted later in that draft and later in the first round. But I thought Josh Rosen was going to be the guy. There was so much talk about him before the draft about the fact that he might be too cerebral for the NFL, but I thought that he was going to be the best player to come out of that group. Boy, was I wrong. His
2: physical skill set is pretty darn good. That's why I like him. And that's why I liked McCarron too. But it takes a lot more than just a physical skill set. And Charlie Army always talked about how if you would have put three Rams quarterbacks together in a line, if you would have put... Tony Banks Kurt Warner And Chris Miller Together In terms of their Physical skill sets Banks would have been Number one Chris Miller would have been Two And Warner would have been Number three But who was the most Successful The, the smartest And most instinctive guy
3: You're killing me Smalls Major League Baseball and the sticky stuff. Other than Lance Lynn getting ejected for throwing his belt, we haven't heard a whole lot Mm -hmm. about the sticky stuff recently. But Major League Baseball has begun disseminating prototypes of pre-tacked baseballs to players. They want to get player feedback on this before next season, this is an early step for them to address the sticky stuff and um, more importantly, address the players' concerns about grip and consistency, which was the reason they were going to the sticky stuff in the first place.
2: That's what they do in Japan, and it just makes sense so that you don't have different baseballs. In Japan, every ball when you start the game is the same. And here, where you have umpires or clubhouse guys or whoever it is that rubs up a baseball, everybody has their own different technique to rubbing up a baseball. So this would even the playing field. It just makes an awful lot of sense. And I don't know why you just, you you can't have tackified baseballs to start a game. I'm glad that baseball is having the foresight to at least look into that.
3: And to disseminate them to pitchers and get their feedback so they may. Make sure that this is not an issue moving forward. That seems like the most simple solution is to give it to pitchers and have them give you your feedback about what they like or what might be able to be improved upon. And you take what it seems to be the most popular consensus and you move forward from there. Communication, Randy, between the players and baseball. It seems like a very obvious thing to do. It
2: does, but it's not very obvious for baseball in general. I bet the first guy they go to is Garrett Cole.
3: I know Rich Hill was one of the guys mm-hmm. that um, was looking at the the tacked balls but I'm sure Garrett Cole if he wasn't on that list is making sure that he gets some of those That's funny
2: he, he was brought to tears by telling baseball just talk to us.
3: So, when when you rely on something from a per, for your performance and it's taken away from you it's got to be hard in Randy. In the middle
2: in the middle of a season. In
3: the middle of a season it's got to be hard. Let's give him a little bit of slack here.
2: But I will say this baseball was right and it has worked.
3: Again, something that I took an L on I'm shocked it worked mm-hmm. The early returns on that weren't great But it went away so quickly
2: in Two days, really the,
3: the The complaints went down We saw the numbers shift a bit We we didn't see guys going to their belts anymore
2: No,
3: <laughs> You know, it, it really did work So congrats to baseball You, you did it
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, congrats, Rob Manfred
3: You're killing me, Smalls Do you think that's the last time we'll say congrats to Rob Manfred in a long time?
2: Probably Maybe if he gets A collective bargaining Agreement done
3: Let's hope Yeah Because I don't want To deal with that again
2: I don't either Neither does Wayno
3: Neither does do baseball fans. Read the room baseball. Yep. Don't make this a deal. All right. Well, another big debate is about who is going to be the Bears quarterback this season. Matt Nagy says it is going to be Andy Dalton. He is our quarterback. And Bears fans don't want to have it. But he was asked about what could change his mind on Andy Dalton being QB1. What is going to be the factors to determine when Justin Fields does play? And Matt Nagy says performance and wins.
2: That'll be a big part of it. I would think any Bears fan that saw the hit that Justin Fields took the other day and knows where their offensive line is because it's so young and inexperienced, they would be terrified of Justin Fields having to face any pass rush, especially the Rams pass rush against that offensive line. They need to give that that offensive line an opportunity to gel and improve. They're really inexperienced and it shouldn't. Take until more than midseason But they have a young group And I would not want to, if I were Justin Fields I wouldn't want to be put behind that group Let For lack of a better term uh, Lead Andy Dalton To slaughter, not Justin Fields. Yikes Yeah, that's what they're doing When you put a quarterback behind that offensive line That's what you're doing
3: don't Bradford him. No. Uh-uh. Let's use that as a verb. Don't Bradford him. <laughs> right. We've seen how that turns out. Quarterback with all the potential in the world behind a Swiss cheese offensive line. Don't yeah. Bradford him. And
2: the Bears aren't, I don't think, trying to lose so that they can move their franchise. At least there was a method to the Rams' madness in never having a left tackle to protect <laughs> Sam Bradford. There isn't that thing going on in Chicago.
3: How do you think Sam would feel? Knowing that the Rams were intentionally trying to lose and intentionally not protecting him and that his career could have been the sacrifice for them to ultimately move to L.A. One of the sacrifices, because in reality, that's part of it. That's part of the story is that they weren't trying to win and poor Sam Bradford had to go out there every week under the guise that they were trying to win and ended up getting hurt.
2: He's walking around with his knee bone on bone and he has had two ACL injuries. He certainly isn't going to have the quality of life, in ter- no, his quality of life in terms of having $100 million is going to be good. Right. But in terms of walking a golf course when he's 50, it's not going to be that great. And that's because they had people like Jason Smith trying to protect him and people like uh, Jake Long, who was used up by the time he got here. And they drafted Greg Robinson. I guess Sam was gone by then. But they really never had a left tackle that sufficiently protected a quarterback, let alone a number one overall quarterback that had invested. Fifty million dollars in. If I were Sam, I would be really disappointed in the NFL. And,
3: and not Even only though I
2: got 120 million bucks from you. Got
3: him. a lot of money, but money doesn't buy you achieving your dreams. Nope. Money doesn't buy you being able to reach your potential. Money doesn't be able. Money doesn't buy you being able to reverse the course of your life and all of the work that you put in up until that point, basically going for nothing because you ended up getting injured.
2: Yeah, it was. What they did to him in their efforts to get out of St. Louis was reprehensible from a, just a, a human decency standpoint.
3: You're killing me, Smalls And finally, Randy, we don't really talk about Skip Bayless On the show because there's really no need to However, exactly. he he did put out a post On Instagram We know that he likes to troll LeBron James But he put out an Instagram post Of an alarm at 2am And it, the caption says, hey LeBron I am up here in LA, are you I'm preparing for my first workout of the day Are you? LeBron, wake up LeBron. Now, I don't want to talk about Skip Bayless And I don't want to talk about him trolling LeBron What I do want to propose to you is Is there any circumstance in the world in which you would wake up at 2 a.m. to get a workout in?
2: No chance. No. Same.
3: I I would just miss it. 2 a.m.? That's so unnecessary.
2: Right. And what's the point? Skip Bayless is, uh, uh, he's like my age, isn't he? Let's see. There's no real, I'm 59. There's no good reason for Skip Bayless to be. He's
3: 69.
2: He's 69. Okay. There's no good reason for him to be up at 2 in the morning working out. He can maintain his shape with diet and normal exercise. He doesn't have to be up at 2 in the morning. Why doesn't he challenge, if he wants to do this, why doesn't he challenge LeBron to an athletic event? doesn't have to be basketball. Why doesn't he, if he's up working out and he's so proud of his athletic prowess, why doesn't he challenge LeBron James to any athletic event?
3: Because he knows he'd get smoke, Randy, and that's not the attention he's trying to get.
2: Ah, okay. Okay. So, I
3: what? would just never ever ever wake up at 2am no. One time no. during 75 hard I got up in the 4am hour to get, mm-hmm. a, get My outdoor workout in before it rained And it was brutal Two hours before that no, no chance. chance No chance And
2: to his credit He has by being a troll Made a lot of money right He's, he's getting more than 10 million dollars a year To be a troll which is not a bad way To make a living
3: No it's not If you have a role and you lean into it And your bank account is better off Whatever. Yep. I would never do it. Not my personality, but also he's a lot richer than I am. Exactly. So who's really yes. winning here? Well, I, I don't know. I wouldn't
2: do it either. <laughs> but I'll do it this way. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thanks for your uh, listening here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we have uh, the fight coming your way. I hope I win. It's next with Character and Smallman. We are right back to the character
1: and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> mm.
3: Hope you're having a great Wednesday. It's time to fight here on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Let's bring in Randy's competition, who will take him on in a sports trivia contest today. Hank is with us. Good morning, Hank. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm always great. How about you?
3: I love that you're always great. I'm always great, too. Well,
1: uh, absolutely.
7: Where,
3: where are you calling from, Hank?
7: I'm Right now, I'm in St. Peter's.
3: Well, where are you from? I should have said, where are you from?
7: Finley, Ohio, but I moved to Lake St. Louis.
3: Oh, awesome. When did you move to Saint, Lake St. Louis? Just this year. Oh, okay. Well, welcome, I guess. That still applies just this year. Welcome to St. Louis. Thank you. All right. Well, let's jump into the fight here. Question number one for you, Hank. Running back Sonny Michelle was traded from the Patriots to the Rams this morning in exchange for two draft picks. Who scored the only touchdown in Super Bowl 53 in which the Patriots defeated the Rams 13 to 3? Was it Rob Gronkowski, Sony Michelle, or Julian Edelman?
5: Michelle. Tony Michelle.
0: (laughs) I like the clarification. Me too. Serena Williams announced her withdrawal from the U.S. Open this morning, saying she wants to allow her body to heal completely from a torn hamstring. Which Grand Slam was her most recent singles win? Was it at the
3: Australian Open, Wimbledon, or the U.S. Open?
0: Uh, U.S. Open.
3: Question number three for you, Hank. On this day in 1986, Mark McGuire hit his first career Major League home run. First of many, a two-run shot to deep center field off of the Tigers' Walt Terrell. What team was his final career home run against in October 2001? Was it the Houston Astros, the Milwaukee Brewers, or the Pittsburgh Pirates?
4: The Brewers.
0: And on this day in 1985, Mets pitcher Dwight Gooden became the youngest pitcher in MLB history to win 20 games. Who was the most recent Cardinals pitcher to win 20 or more games in a season? Is it Chris Carpenter, Matt
3: Morris, or Adam Wainwright? Carpenter. All right, checking our score here. Don't know where Randy is, trying to wave him in. Oh, there he is, standing outside. Randy is all dressed up today because he's got to go to court. Not for something that he did, though.
2: For something somebody else did.
3: For something somebody else did. We have a big a big day in court here in yeah, St. Louis, yeah, right, Randy? Uh, big day. All right, Randy, say, what's up to Hank?
2: Hank, what up? How you doing? I'm always great. How about you? Everything's terrific. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for playing. Absolutely.
3: Hank from Ohio, within the past year, moved to Lake St. Louis.
2: Oh, well, welcome to our region. Glad that you're here, and we're uh, thrilled that you're part of the show. Thank you.
3: All right, Randy. Question number 1. Running back Sony Michelle was traded from the Patriots to the Rams this morning in exchange for two draft picks. Who scored the only touchdown in Super Bowl 53 in which the Patriots defeated the Rams 13 to 3?
2: I'm going to go with Sony Michelle. I didn't watch that Super Bowl, I must confess.
3: I know you didn't.
2: But uh, I'll go with Sony Michelle.
0: Why wouldn't you watch that Super Bowl?
2: Yeah, there, that was no win for me, Emily. There was, <laughs> there was no win in there. So I drove Katie back to uh, college that night.
3: But you I, understand. But you were pleased that the Patriots won. Though, I was right?
2: pleased with the outcome. Yeah,
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Question two. Serena Williams announced her withdrawal from the U.S. Open this morning, mm-hmm. saying she wants to allow her body to completely heal from a torn hamstring. Which Grand Slam was her most recent singles win?
2: Hmm. It might have been that. It might have been the U.S. Open. Um, Let's see. She hasn't played the French in a couple of years. Australian. And uh, it's been a minute for Wimbledon. I'm going to go with the U.S. Open.
3: On this day in 1986, Mark McGuire hit his first career Major League home run. Mm -hmm. It was a two-run shot to deep center field off of the Tigers' Walt Terrell. What team was his final career home run against in October 2001?
2: Mm, October of 2001. Correct. Okay, so uh, we're either in the regular season or in the playoffs. I don't think he hit one in the playoffs. I'm going to do the lifeline
3: here. Is it the Houston Astros, the Milwaukee Brewers, or the Pittsburgh Pirates?
2: Okay, so he didn't hit one in the playoffs. He was pretty good against the Pirates over the course of his career, so I'm just going to take a wild guess here and say that it was indeed the Pittsburgh Pirates.
0: And on this day in 1985... Mets pitcher Dwight Gooden became the youngest pitcher in MLB history to win 20 games. Who was the most recent Cardinals pitcher to win 20 or more, ga- 20 or more games in a season?
2: I'm going to say that it was Wano in 2014 when he went 20-9, I believe.
3: Okay, we have a tie between hmm. Hank and Randy. A tie, both of you got two correct. Actually... Oh, yeah. You both got two correct. I was going to say, I think you got the same ones correct, but you did not. All right, Hank, here is how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write his answer down on a sheet of paper. We're going to give you first crack at it. You're going to give us your answer. Then we're going to read Randy's answer, what he's written down on the sheet of paper. First, to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Randy, are you ready? Ready. Randy and Hank, here is your tiebreaker question. How many three-pointers did Jason Tatum hit in his Duke career? How many three-pointers did Jason Tatum hit in his Duke career?
2: Okay. I am going to guess. All right, I've got a guess here.
3: Hank, do you have a guess? Seventy. And Randy, your guess is? Sixty. (laughs) <laughs> you heard Hank sigh. there Was it warranted? Is he a champion today? Emily, let him know
1: A winner and still champion of the fight Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and Heroloan.com Check out how they help veterans and service members At the new and improved
2: Heroloan.com Hank, how did you land at 70? I figured maybe two a game That's how I landed at 60 I, I
7: thought about two-game. I couldn't think if he was just a one-and-done, though. And that's okay. why I come up with 70.
3: Randy, closest to the pin on the tiebreaker. We're going to get to that in a second. So in Super Bowl 53, in which the Patriots defeated the Rams 13-3, to great day, the only touchdown scored was by Sony Michelle. It was a two-yard run. Two-yard mm-hmm. run. You guys both got that one correct. So the last... Grand Slam that was Serena Williams' most recent singles win was the Australian Open in 2017. The team that Mark McGuire hit his final career home run against in October 2001 was the Milwaukee Brewers. It was a three-run home run off Rocky Coppinger. Mm Mm-hmm. Rocky Coppinger. And then the most recent Cardinals pitcher to win 20 or more games in a season is Adam Wainwright. Waino, He was 20 and nine in 2014. It was that 2014 season. The tiebreaker question was, how many three pointers did Jason Tatum hit in his Duke career? Hank guessed 70. Randy guessed 60. The correct answer is 40. 40. So Randy was closest to the pin, securing the victory for him. Hank, thank you for listening. Thank you for playing. And we hope you have an awesome hump day.
2: Thank you. I will. If it was Cleveland trivia, I'd crush it. So <laughs> I have know you Are you a Browns fan? <laughs> Absolutely. Good luck to your Brownies in 2021. They'll be all right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hank with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up with Character and Smallman is Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 Tioli, Coming your way next.
1: We're right back to
2: the Character and
1: Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It is time for Tiolia Michelle, I've got an easy one for you. Okay. Take it or leave it. Jack Flaherty starts another Cardinal game in 2021.
3: I'm going to leave it. I wish I could take it, but I think I'm going to have to leave it.
2: I'm going to take it. I'm going to say that they do bring him back for one more start. You do? Yep. I would love it. Six weeks. What, 38 games? thirty? We don't know the severity yet, but
3: he's just so valuable to the future of this team that if there was any sort of discomfort or injury lingering, I would not want to risk it.
2: I would not either, but I kind of think that they'll want to take a look and say, okay, is this somebody that we can plan on for spring training in 2022? I think they want to see if he's healthy. Yikes. We'll find out more. He's going to undergo tests at 10 o'clock this morning.
3: Can't wait for the update there. Okay, Randy. So Malcolm Butler, who um, used to play for the Patriots, defensive back who used to play for the Patriots, is now playing for the Cardinals. Well, one of his new teammates is Robert Alford, who was playing for the Falcons in that infamous Super Bowl where the Patriots came back and beat the Falcons. So he was doing a recent interview with 12 News in Phoenix, and he was asked if he talked with his, his new teammate, Robert Alford, about that Super Bowl. And here's what he said. Here's what Malcolm Butler said. I talked to him about it. I asked him if he wanted his ring back. He told me a story. He said he was in the locker room at halftime. He was about to pop a champagne bottle and things like that. It was so funny. And then we came back and beat them. I'm just imagining them at halftime. Robert, he's a funny guy. He's got a lot of energy. He tells a lot of jokes. And he told me at halftime they were in there dancing and hurraying. And then we came back and beat them. So I think that was pretty fun. Take it or leave it. The Falcons did it to themselves.
2: I'll take that. It's unbelievable, all the things that happened, and that was part of it. The Kyle Shanahan pass play call was part of it. Not running the ball, they could have just—they had a twenty-eight to three lead.
3: Twenty-eight to three. You're haranguing at halftime, though. You need to keep the focus on the game. There's a lot of football left to play there.
2: Yeah, and you're playing against Brady, right?
3: And Belichick.
2: Yeah, and they found a way. Yeah, it wasn't that wasn't very smart to start celebrating at halftime.
3: If you're a Falcons fan and you read that and you think you really let your guard down that yeah. much... You, you took your eyes off the prize that much that you're harangue, wanting to pop bottles, celebrating in the locker room at halftime? Yep. Against Brady and Belichick? And what are you thinking, guys?
2: We know how fragile having a great NFL team is, how, how quickly it can disintegrate. But think about Dan Quinn, who's now the defensive coordinator got, uh, of the Cowboys. He got fired last year by Atlanta. And they've never even been close to getting back to a Super Bowl since they were up 28-3 to in that game. Yikes. Not great.
3: Sorry, Anthony Stalter.
2: Yeah. These things happen, though. Anthony's on vacation this week, I think.
3: Yeah, so he's not worried about it. He's no. not worried about he's, this little piece of news chilling. that his Atlanta Falcons were celebrating at halftime, thinking they had the entire thing sewn up.
2: And it was 21 nothing when they were celebrating, not 28-3. That's
3: right. 21 yeah. nothing at halftime.
2: All right, Emily, what do you have from the text line?
0: From the 314, take it or leave it, Tarasenko leads his not-yet-determined NHL team in goals at... at during the season. I'll take it. Say that one, one more time for me, please. Sorry, the ending no, of it was no, kind of okay. confusing. okay. I just want to make sure I have it correct. From the 314, take it or leave it, Tarasenko leads his not-yet-determined NHL team in goals this season.
3: I'm going to leave it because I think his not-yet-determined team may be the Blues, and I don't think he's going to lead the Blues in goals. Uh,
2: okay. I'm hoping that uh, they're able to get something done during training camp, that he can show that he's healthy and The Islanders will say, okay, yeah, we'll take him. I don't know if that'll happen, but I hope so.
3: And then you think he's going to lead them in goals?
2: Yeah, I don't think that they're overwhelmingly offensively gifted. So I I will take that. Last year, their leader in goals was Brock Nelson with 18 in 56 games. I think that Vladdy can, I, I think he's better than Nelson. Barzal might score more this year than he scored last year but I think Vladdy is the most gifted if you put him on that team he's the most gifted goal scorer on the team
0: from the 314 take it or leave it Flaherty signs before free agency due to his recent
3: injuries
2: I'm still going to leave that
3: I'm going to leave that too I I think he's probably just viewing this as a minor setback Mm -hmm. and the numbers are still the same and the talent is still there and he's still going to want to test that out and try to command every dollar he possibly can
2: i do wonder how arbitration will go next year though because of the limited number of starts that he's had this year and he's been great when he's been available and then the limited number of starts last year because of covid wasn't his fault but that's just the way things rolled i'll be interested to see what happens and if he ever agrees to a salary without going to arbitration
0: From the 636, take it or leave it, the only thing Randy wants to win more than the fight every day is the St.
3: Louis case against Oh, I'll take that. I think Randy would lose the fight every day for a year if it meant St. Louis won that case. Yeah, I would. That's just the type of guy he is. I
2: don't know if that's the thing. I guess it is the thing that I want, that I'm a biggest fan of right now.
3: More than the Blues winning another Stanley Cup, more than the Cardinals winning another World Series.
2: Yeah, I just want to see the look on the NFL guys' faces.
3: Do you think you'll get to see that? I think so. Will yeah. they be in court on Judgment Day?
2: Somebody's got to be there. Yeah.
3: More than just their legal representation.
2: I would. I would think so. There's four billion bucks on the line.
3: And there'll be cameras, you think, in in the courtroom?
2: I don't know. That's a great question. I'll draw something.
3: I <laughs> well, hope it's better than the Tom Brady sketch.
2: Yeah, it'll be like Roger Goodell with a little tear.
3: Tom Brady's sketch was the first thing
0: that came to mind, (laughs) right? How is it not? From the 618, take it or leave it. Clayton Kershaw is still a top 10 pitcher of all time, even with his playoff struggles.
2: Absolutely. 100% take it.
3: Take it for sure.
2: In fact, two or three years ago, before the injuries, you could have made the case for Kershaw being the best starting pitcher of all time. I think he's clearly a top 10 starting pitcher of all time.
3: And now that he's won a World Series and performed mm-hmm. in the postseason, even with the previous postseason struggles, I think that that's not the pervasive narrative anymore. No. That he was one of the best who could never get it done. And
2: I think if people are willing to take a deep dive and look at the Houston series in 2017, where Houston was cheating. And remember when we had Neg Coletti on, he said, I'm heartbroken for... Kershaw because I know that he was better than that now that I know what was happening drives him crazy and it has to drive Kershaw crazy too but that narrative could have stopped and I know you might not like us saying narrative but the the narrative of Kershaw being a bad postseason pitcher could have ended four years ago rather than last year.
3: And that is a situation in which narrative is used correctly. Thank you. This one from the
0: 618, take it or leave it. Randy should get a crying, cronky tattoo if they win the case against him.
2: No tattoos. I'm not certainly not a cronky on my body.
3: Yeah, no way.
2: So, so that ain't going to happen.
3: I will say that Randy... And I'm sure one of the BLIS, the best listeners in sports who listen to Character and Smallman and one-on-one ESPN all day, will do something where they can figure out a Cronky crying Jordan meme that mm-hmm. Randy, I'm sure, will gladly post on socials. But why would you want Stan Cronky's face on your body from now until the rest exactly. of your life? Like, no way.
2: So and many people that have gone to hot shots over the years where previously, and I don't believe they have them now. I think they're going to try to get them back. Uh, but we have a couple hanging up around our building here—the uh, Hot Shots urinal cakes with Kronky's face on them. So basically, people have seen a crying Kronky; it just hasn't been real tears.
3: We have urinal cakes hanging up around our office. Oh yeah, check out the Fast
2: Lane office. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
2: with Kronky's face on them,
3: fresh. hmm
0: <laughs> From the six-three-six, take it or leave it. The Cardinals will have two or more Gold Glovers.
2: I don't think Yachty's going to be able to pull that off. I don't. Arnato? Arnato will be definitely one. And maybe Goldie? But I don't see O'Neal winning another one. He's got too many errors. Bader hasn't played enough. Carlson, no. I don't think either of the middle infielders do. So I would say your corner infielders are your best opportunity, and I'm going to leave it.
3: I think I have to leave it too. Arnado feels like the only surefire right. thing,
2: right? And even with Rizzo gone now, you look around the league: Joey Votto, Freeman. I, I think there is probably guys that will, because they're playing on better teams, and a lot of this is the good visible teams. They'll have better opportunities to win than than Goldie will.
0: From the six three six, this one uh, from Nathan from Union: Take it or leave it. The Cardinals missed the playoffs by two games because of Detroit.
2: Oh, I'm going to leave it. I think the Cardinals will miss by more than that.
3: But what? What's your margin?
2: I'll say that they're five. Five, yeah, at the end of the year. Gosh.
3: Only four and a half games out, though. They have an opportunity still. I'm trying to cling to hope. I'm like Jack in the Titanic trying to cling to the door. I'll never I'm let go. I'm freezing in the water, but I'm not letting go just yet. Yeah,
2: she, she, she says, I'll never let go, and then let's go.
3: Yeah, the Cardinals are arose on the door and they just won't scoot over and make some room for me. Come on. Yeah, right. I'm clinging to hope here. Scoot mm. on over. Let's do this.
2: You know, she could have let him up on that door. Oh, big time. They could have played cards on that door. <laughs> You've seen the pictures of that, right?
3: No, I've never seen the pictures nice. of them playing cards on the door. But the door was pretty substantial. Now... I know the argument is that if he would have tried to get on the door, he could have knocked both of them off. He could have knocked her off. But they were already in the water and freezing. What's one more dunk?
2: Yeah. It's nothing.
3: it's <laughs> just a little suspect.
2: Yeah, it is. You, okay, I've got the picture here, so you can come over and see it during the break. So oh, yeah, we got to talk to Jeff Saturday. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Jeff Saturday of ESPN. going to talk some football next on 101 ESPN. ESPN's Jeff Saturday scheduled to join us in this segment. It's nine oh two. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Michelle, here we are already headed into the final preseason game of the NFL. It sure seems like, and this is from afar, obviously, because we don't have a team, but it seems like the three-week preseason feels a lot shorter than the four-week preseason. Are you getting that?
3: I am getting that, but also I feel like In this post-pandemic world, all the timelines feel off. After last season, Mm -hmm. everything kind of feels a little bit discombobulated, even still.
2: I wonder if the 17-game regular season will feel a lot longer. Like, okay, we're supposed to be at the finish line and it's not happening.
3: Probably, I'm sure for the players, especially, it's definitely going to feel that way.
2: And a couple of things happening in the NFL. The Jaguars have placed Travis Etienne on injured reserve. He will be out for the year with a Liz Frank fracture in his foot. He'll undergo surgery for that and have the season-ending IR. He's a guy that relies on speed. And those Liz Frank fractures can be dicey. Probably a good move on their part, because they aren't going anywhere this year, to get him as healthy as they can for next year.
3: Yeah, and I wonder if this impacts their thought process on Trevor Lawrence at all, without Travis Etienne and the offensive line not playing as well as you would hope they would to protect your franchise quarterback, the future of your franchise in Trevor Lawrence. I wonder if there's any thought to the Jaguars sitting him at all.
2: There has to be, right? Because Gardner Minshew has not been terrible, and... You you do want to protect your investment in the guy, and clearly, from what I've seen and what people have talked about, doesn't seem like he's ready to go.
3: No, and kind of the same conversation we have about Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. Why wouldn't you want the veteran guy to go out there and take the brunt of things mm-hmm. until you know that the offensive line is sound and, or Travis Lawrence is a hundred percent ready yeah. to go. I know Jaguars fans are dying to see him out there, but everything we've heard so far, it's been a, a decent quarterback competition. Gardner Minshew certainly thinks that he should be the, the starting quarterback for the Jags, but And I wanted to ask Jeff Saturday this when we speak to him. We've gone down the Sam Bradford Road. Don't Bradford him if you don't have to.
2: And Trevor Lawrence has never had to deal with real adversity in his, probably in his high school career. Certainly in his college career, he hasn't had to face the pass rush and hasn't had to get rid of the ball as quickly as he does now in the NFL. There are probably things about being an NFL quarterback that Trevor Lawrence has to learn.
3: I would think so. I yeah. think everybody has to learn that when they're a rookie.
2: We are going to talk to Dick Vermeule to Oh, do we have uh, the the phones are ringing? So that means we're going to hear from Jeff Saturday of ESPN here in just a moment.
3: But I know where you're going with Dick Vermeil, and thrilled that he was named a finalist for the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, he will join us tomorrow here on Carriker and Smallman. And we had the chance to talk to him a week and a half ago when Isaac Bruce went into the Hall of Fame and you won't meet a nicer person or a more deserving person. When you think about what he did with the Eagles, they hadn't won in 25 years. Think about what he did with the Rams. They were the losingest franchise in the decade before they won the Super Bowl and then turned the Chiefs back around, too, and had them in the playoffs in three years. So uh, congratulations to Coach Vermeil on being a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line now, and Jeff Saturday of ESPN joins us, former Colts and Packers for a year center, Jeff, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. Thanks for taking some time. How are you doing? Oh,
7: Fantastic. Glad to be with you guys. Just had a lot of fun on Get Up, man. Ready to continue it going.
3: Awesome. Well, let's keep the fun going, Jeff. Well, not fun coming out of Jacksonville. Some news there with Travis Etienne out for the season with that Liz Frank injury to his left foot. The Jaguars, their offensive line hasn't been 100% sound this preseason. If you're Urban Meyer, do you consider sitting Trevor Lawrence or do you still roll with him despite what you've seen this preseason and that Etienne injury?
7: No, I think you still roll with them. I mean, I think obviously that the tackles are struggling. Um, both tackles, I want to say, both uh, uh, Cam on the on the left. It, you know, so you know when you look at this this football team, they're going to have to grow together. And and when you look at the offensive line, there's going to have to be some type of rhythmic passing game where Trevor Lawrence has a clock in his head of when to get rid of the football and and, and not take unnecessary shots, right? And so when you look at this football team, I understand with ETN leaving uh, or being. In- injured and missing the season. Um, But Robinson's a a really good physical back. They already have, you know, he's an undrafted guy, maybe one of the best of all time as a rookie. Um, And so they'll they'll have to lead with their run, uh, you know, kind of base their offense off the play action and just trust that their quarterback understands living to play the next play. Uh, is, is extremely important because you're not going to make a run this year. You don't have the team as a whole. You just want to grow as a player uh, and, and, and learn as opposed to worrying about taking unnecessary hits.
2: Jeff, you look back at the guy that you played with for such a long time, Peyton Manning, and he walks into a situation in his rookie year where he's got Marshall in the backfield, he's got Marvin Harrison, he's got an offensive line with Tarek Glenn and Jay Lewenberg and Tony Mandarich and Adam Meadows, guys that were good players in the NFL. It doesn't seem like any of these rookie Quarterbacks this year are walking into what could be considered a really good, let alone ideal situation.
7: No, you're exactly right, and I I think when you look at it, probably uh, Wilson probably has the best opportunity from an from an offensive line perspective. When you um, you know when you look at that, just from a um, just from a a perspective of, of a run. You know a run-centric offense and the explosiveness that I think Wilson can have. But you're exactly right. Listen, you know teams that you're getting drafted high, they're not good football teams. So you're getting pulled in. You know you look at the Bears and they're a 500 football team uh, last year. But but I think when you look at Justin Fields, I think he actually makes their offensive line better because of his mobility, being able to run. You know QB uh, naked boots and and waggles. Um, And so when I look at that, I think he, he actually improves their football team. But there's very few just Straight drop back teams. Uh, to your point of any of any the, where these quarterbacks are walking in, so they're all going to have to go in understanding offenses and and understanding their roles. But you just you know from their perspective again, it's it's understanding the, the offense in totality, and that means understanding protections, where guys are coming free, understanding those type of things. It's not just let's go out and wing it, right? Like I mean, you've you got to really understand the offense as a whole and give yourself the best chance to succeed.
2: With Justin Fields specifically, Jeff, no offensive line is good against Aaron Donald. So do you, do you get where, where Matt Nagy's coming from in starting uh, Andy Dalton in that opener, at least, against the Rams? I don't, you know, and, and
7: listen. I'm one of those guys. I think Justin Fields. I had him right behind, uh, or almost neck and neck with Trevor Lawrence. And so, um, I, I liked him coming out of Ohio State. I actually watched him play. And I'm from Georgia, and so I actually watched T. N. Lawrence uh, in high school. And then as he went from Georgia to Ohio State, I uh, mean, this kid's a winner, man. Like he's he's freaking tough. He's tough-minded. I mean, listen, I he, he, think he threw. 70 touchdowns at Ohio State and less than 10 interceptions in a couple of years. Took him to the championship game with broken ribs. I mean, he understands football and he understands a, a tough situation that he is in Chicago. But man, he gives them the best chance to win. And this is no disrespect to Andy Dalton. I think he's a good player. But if I'm if, if I'm Matt Nagy and, and Pace, Justin's going to be my guy, man. And, and I'm going to ride with him. And, and they have a tough schedule. There's no doubt. But unless you plan on sitting him an entire year, i don't really understand the philosophy because he's not going to be a better player if you if you bench him for six weeks It's not like he's going to get you know reps with the ones so he can improve himself he's going to be running scout team and doing that kind of thing and getting a couple plays here and there. I just don't see that uh, you know improving a quarterback so again, if you're all in on Andy Dalton for a whole year, I get it, but this whole let's wait till mid season i don't think that improves his situation at all.
3: Jeff, let's stick with quarterbacks, but let's go to New Orleans. So Saints head coach Sean Payton, he's declined to make an official announcement yet as to who's going to be the starting quarterback between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Jameis had a strong outing this past weekend. He completed 9 of 10 passes, 123 yards, and two deep touchdown throws. And there's a lot of excitement surrounding what could potentially become of Jameis Winston if he's the quarterback in New Orleans. But the numbers are what they are in Tampa Bay. We know the interceptions. We know the struggles that Jameis has done with, Do you really think that you're going to see a different Jameis Winston with the Saints?
7: I do. And, and listen, let me just, you know, the no risk it, no biscuit, uh, Bruce Arians, you know, kind of coined phrase and, you know, all the things that B.A. is. And he was one of my coaches, by the way, when I was in Indianapolis. So, you know, I know him, got a ton of respect for him. But but Jameis Winston kind of lived up to that, right? He, I mean, 30 and 30, and, you know, he can make the big plays, but he's given up. But that's not Sean Payton. That's not what Drew Brees did, right? They, they believe in protecting the football. Uh, they're not afraid to check it down and, and let their defense do work. They're not afraid to use a screen game, and, it, and it's not all vertical passing all the time. I think that benefits Jameis Winston a ton. And I think he will be a different quarterback in New Orleans than he was in Tampa. And and again, um, you, you know, systems matter, coaching matters, right? And, and the fit, between a player and a system matters there are very very few players that transcend systems in the NFL and and so when you're talking about Jameis Winston I think the system in New Orleans will be a huge benefit for him and I think he'll be a huge benefit for New Orleans this season
3: Jeff the NFC West is so intriguing you could really make a case that all of the teams in the division could make the playoffs but if you were a betting man and picking a horse in the NFC West who do you like?
7: Ooh, that's a great question. I'm really on the fence. Look, I I, I like the Rams, and I like Stafford with McVay. I also really like the 49ers and i'm just telling you like when you look at the 49ers they have they have their schedules not crazy I mean it's an, it's a, actually it's an easy schedule um, if, if, if you can say that right i mean i'm saying that with respect that it's the NFL but when you look at their schedule as a whole, I like how they stack up against teams I think they stay healthy I think Jimmy G um, can carry them a long way, and I think sprinkling in lance every now and then gives defenses other things to work work on, so little packages. I'm telling you, man, Kyle Shanahan gets hot with this offense. Um, you know, this, this is a scary football team, so those are probably my two favorites, uh, but you're right, all four could potentially be playoff teams, which would be just insane, but they're all good enough to do it.
2: Hey, Jeff, one more thing. Here in St. Louis, the Chiefs are three and a half hours down the road, and as great as they are, they are starting essentially three rookies on the right side of their offensive line with Humphrey at center, Trey Smith at right guard, Nyang at right tackle, and they're great on the left side with Thune and Brown should Chiefs fans be at all concerned about the inexperience on that offensive line
7: no, I like this offensive line, and I think they're tu- You know, they're they're deep. First of all, they're deep. I think Veach did a good job of going out and and helping just in case they did run into injuries like they did last season, uh, which you know just decimated them towards the end of the year. But um, I, I like it. Listen, I like the tenacity of this group. I like Edwards-Aleary. I think I think he is a true weapon in the backfield. And and you know, for all the things that Mahomes does. He's about as good, you know. He and Aaron Rodgers are about as good as you get of being able to buy time, backpedaling in the pocket. And I, I'm just telling you, there are very few guys who can do it. And so on the right side, he's going to see it. He'll be able to re- react to it. So if there is an area where you can kind of get away with or kind of bend the rules a little bit from an offensive line perspective, it's that. Um, I think this team again is playing for the AFC Championship game and, and potentially the Super Bowl. Uh, if they stay healthy. So no, not, not a great concern for me on this offensive line. In fact, I think it might end up being a strength towards
2: the latter part of the season. Jeff Saturday. Great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Had a blast. You have a great day. You too. That is Jeff Saturday. You see him on all of the ESPN platforms, of course on SportsCenter center and on uh, first take and on uh, hear him on the radio he's everywhere he's on the, our morning show before we come on the air he, he,
3: he was just on get up he's yeah, everywhere
2: he, you can't get away from Jeff Saturday and that's <laughs> a great thing he joined us on 101 ESPN and it will be interesting to watch the the Chiefs I like what they're doing I, I'm not concerned at all about that offensive line and if they do have issues with the inexperience they've got a guy that's played in the Super Bowl as their backup center in Austin Blythe Devarnay uh, Tardif is back he Played a, on a Super Bowl championship team. Uh, Andrew Wiley is good. My concern about them would be as if they lose their left tackle, Orlando Brown. I don't like their left tackle depth, which is Mike Remmers. But otherwise, I think they're going to be really good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Yachty is coming back for the Cardinals. How excited are you? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're
1: right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
7: Swing and a line drive over the shortstop's head and a base hit. I mean, the kid really teed off on that. His first big league hit a one-out single here in the fifth inning. And they'll throw that baseball out of play. And a souvenir to go into the Molina
1: trophy kick. He hits it in the air to left field. Back is Chavez. At the wall, this ball is gone. Two-run home run, Yadier
2: Molina. And St. Louis takes a three-to-one, ninth inning, game
1: seven lead. They're on deals. Molina in the air, left field. Duvall's got a great arm, but that is deep. Wong ready to run. He tags. Here he comes. Duvall's throw, No chance. And the- 2 two pitch Molina serves it into right center there it is hit number 2000 for Yadier Molina the first pitch by Wainwright and with that pitch Yadier Molina
2: becomes the first catcher in Major League history with 2,000 games caught with one team just the sixth catcher overall to get to this incredible milestone 2,000 games as a catcher what a remarkable Hall of Fame career Yadier Molina has already had for the Cardinals, and it's going to continue for another season, as the Cardinals announced yesterday that yadi has signed a one-year contract. The Athletic, Katie Wu reporting that it's worth $10 million. And Jamo Zaloc saying in the release that the Cardinals are thrilled to have yadi back for his final season. So, there should be a yadi celebration in 2022.
3: A celebration and a farewell tour. Mm-hmm. I imagine that there's a lot of places that Yachty's used to going that um, let's just say they don't give him a warm reception. He gets booed some places because of everything that you just heard the tremendous amount of success that he's had in his career and I want, I'm i going to be interested to see how opposing ballparks receive him knowing that he is one of the greats in the game and that this might be the final time that they ever get to see him play. Are they going to cheer for him? Are they going to give him a little bit of love? What's Cincinnati going to do when Yachty or Molina comes there for the final time? They will boo be- him. <laughs> and he'll probably love that.
2: Yeah, because they respect him so much. And if nothing else, The opposition should respect Yadier Molina. When you think about a Mets fan and what he did to them in 2006, and when you think about Cincinnati, and granted, uh, he didn't take very well to Brandon Phillips tapping him on the shin pad after what had happened the night before back uh, in 2000, I think it was 2010. But he's been amazing. And you think about the big moments that he has stepped up in, in the postseason for the Cardinals, and then the spectacular defense that he's displayed over the years. It'll be great to have him back, and I hope, Michelle, that they can keep him as sharp as he was in the first half of the season. He he was fantastic. Mm -hmm. You could argue that he was their best player in the first half of the season on both sides of the ball. And hopefully they'll be able to keep him sharp enough so that he can take another shot at October. I think that's the cool thing, is that he and hopefully Adam Wainwright will have the opportunity to come back in October.
3: That should be the goal, right? Everybody thinks that the Cardinals are having an eye towards next season, gearing up for 2022. And if that's the case, if Yadi and Rolina and hopefully Adam Wainwright are back, that's the way that they deserve to go out. Whatever happens in the postseason, that they deserve to go out in October. At least have one final ride and one, run, one final shot at it.
2: Heading into this last year, and there's a chance that we could have another Yachty moment. I I have two Yachty moments, Mm -hmm. and certainly Game 7, the home run against the Mets in 2006 is one of them. And then the other one is the game-winning hit against the Braves here just a couple of years ago in the uh, National League Division Series that propelled the Cardinals to Game Five, and then they roll over the Braves in Game Five and then go to the NLCS. That was huge and, for me, unexpected.
3: Don't you think that even now, if the Cardinals were to get into a spot where they needed to win a game to get into the postseason or if it was a big postseason moment, if Yadier Molina steps up to bat, that's just what he does is he comes through for the Cardinals and clutch situations. I still have every confidence in him, even at this stage in his career, that if the moment commanded it, that Yadier Molina could deliver.
2: Right. I agree with that 100%. And like I say, I I think the injuries have taken their toll this year. I'm sure that the foot injury that prevented him from going to the All-Star game has taken a toll. And when you're 39 and you play as many games as he's played, and I think he's up to 95 this year, It's bound to take a physical toll. It takes a physical toll on a young man, and he's still a young man, but from a baseball standpoint, with all the times that he's gone up and down, the times that he's squatted, maybe a million, I don't know how many times he's squatted in his career, but he's got a lot of miles on that body, and you need to do everything you can from an organizational standpoint to preserve it.
3: Oh, absolutely, and I hope that Yachty has had that conversation with them and continues to have that conversation with them because we know the passion that Yachty or Molina has for the game of baseball. He wants to play. He wants to play every single game. And if next season is in fact his last season, I would imagine that he he doesn't want to miss any moment of that, or he doesn't want to release any opportunity that he could have playing, knowing that the finish line is close. And so even though I'm sure logically he understands that the Cardinals want to preserve him because they want him to be fresh for those hopeful October moments in 2022, I also know how much he loves this game, and I know that. That he wants to savor every possible mm-hmm. moment that he can during what seems like will be his final season so i know that up front it could seem like that's a positive conversation but we all know how yadi is and how much he loves to do what he does and how much he appreciates his craft so i could see next season where he still wants to play every single game
2: and i do think the cardinals just need to be logical about it and say uh, you said it perfectly lay out for him what gives the club the best opportunity to win and the fact that they need him late. It's like Tony used to rest guys in, in May and say, hey, we win this game and then we win one late in the season because that guy was rested. It's a doubleheader win. Mm-hmm. And so take advantage of that. So Yachty's back one year, $10 million. And thanks to our friends over at KMOX for the call from Mike Shannon earlier that you heard of Yachty's first major league hit. Hey, we've got some Dead and company tickets for you. We have your chance to win a free pair right now. On September 13th, the concert is going to take place at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for the show on sale now. You can also find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Dead & Company right now at 101ESPN.com and on your 101 mobile app. All you need to know right now is we had Coach Brett Bielma from Illinois on at 745. He knew what high school Michelle Smallman went to.
3: Very impressive.
2: What high school was it? Texter number... Can I give a hand? Yeah.
3: It's in the Metro East. Okay. It's on the ill side.
2: Okay, good. But if you were listening to Brett Bielma, you know.
3: That's right. You do know if you were listening to Coach. And if you didn't, you can always download the podcast. And,
2: and we're going to talk to Adam Wainwright coming up next. So, texter number 50 to 65780 that knows what Coach Bielma knew, what high school Michelle Smallman went to, gets the tickets to Dead & Company September 13th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Adam Wainwright, Wednesdays with Wayno is next on 101 ESPN. Adam Wainwright brought to you by Chick-fil-A. Wednesdays with Waino provides you the opportunity to stop by your local Chick-fil-A and enjoy an ice-cold Sunjoy. Chick-fil-A is donating a portion of the proceeds of Sunjoy Wednesdays to support Big League Impact through the baseball regular season. And Michelle, and by the way, a Sunjoy is their new name for their Arnold Palmer drink at Chick-fil-A. Absolutely okay. delicious.
3: When we were in Canton, we had to make a Chick-fil-A run. Got the classic spicy chicken sandwich, waffle fries, Polynesian sauce, you know the mm-hmm. deal. And I got a Sun Joy, and ooh, it's that good, especially on a hot day like today. So satisfying.
2: Great call. And we also want you to go to bigleagueimpact.org and sign up for the Big League Impact Fantasy Football League. Adam Wainwright, Austin Dean, Tommy Edmund are going to be playing. And here's the way it works. We're going to have a weekly head-to-head matchup featuring a weekly salary cap format on the RT sports platform. You get to play against major leaguer from your favorite team, and the registration entry and donations go directly to the players' charitable causes at Big League Impact. So we're looking forward to that.
3: So we're waiting on Adam Wainwright. And while we do that, should we take this opportunity to talk about our fantasy team and the names that we have selected? Yes, good idea. Because we need, because we're going up against Adam Wainwright, who on his Twitter bio says fantasy football dominating is Mm -hmm. one of the, the... Identifiers and his Twitter bio. So yeah. we know how seriously he takes this, okay? And so we need to go up against him. And part of that means having a great fantasy football name. So as a Dolphins show, we wanted to incorporate our quarterback, Tua Tungvaluwa. And so we have a list of great fantasy football names. We're going to put it up on a poll on social media. But I want to at least read to you, Randy, the ones that I had crowdsourced when we asked the BLIS, the best listeners in sports, for their opinion.
2: Okay, let's hear them.
3: Tua the Moon, a little nod to AMC, I like and that to the a lot. stock market. Tua Chains, because okay. we know you are Rant Chains. DMC, rapper. Right, a little nod to another guy in the game. Yeah. All roads lead to a hardware.
2: That is one of the four pillars of character and Smallman.
3: That's right. Since we're both competing in this together, how about just the two of us?
2: <laughs> That's a great call. Just, two just of the two of us.
3: Just uh, the two us. Our our team Randy might be to a legit to a quit.
2: That one's going to be hard to beat. I love that name.
3: Too legit action. to a Yeah. And then after we win, like the blues played gl- Gloria, we could play little MC Hammer. Too legit.
2: Too to legit, legit to quit. quit. Yeah.
3: Too legit. Yeah, okay. What about a nod? Again, we're just pulling inspiration from everywhere. Our friend Danny Mack who is actually part of our show mm-hmm. 2 days a week so he is by proxy, part of our team, yep. whether he knows it or not.
2: He's a Dolphin fan. It,
3: two adorbs. <laughs> <laughs> now, only character and Smallman listeners would get that, and we would get that. I don't know if if the rest of the people participating might get that, but we would love it.
2: Yeah, that'd be fun. And it can be an inside joke between character Smallman, Emily, and uh, everybody that's tuned in.
3: That's true. Okay, two more for you. Drip to a hard. <laughs> Because you know that we have the swag. Yeah. And then finally, too a fast to a furious.
2: Now this is very creative. And from a football perspective, if you put together a team that is too a fast, to a furious, you're gonna win.
3: That's right. Should we make our picks based on speed because of our team name? I we think already, that's a good idea. We have an identity built in with that name.
2: That's a good one. That one or two are legit to quit, I think, are two, my two favorites. But we'll let the masses vote. They voted for the Dolphins to be the team of Carricker and Smallman. And we'll put that up on Twitter here in the next week or so. And we'll make sure that we get. A quality name for our team.
3: I will throw it up there by the end of the day, and then we'll promote it tomorrow so you can let your voice be heard. Help us pick our fantasy football team name in Adam Wainwright's Big League Impact Fantasy Football Draft.
2: It's going to be great. And by the way, not only do you get to participate in fantasy football against... Adam Wainwright, Tommy Edmund, Austin Dean, and us, among many others. But the grand prize is a 2022 spring training trip for two. You'll have chances to win all kinds of exciting and exclusive prizes all season long. And every registration will include a VIP pregame reception with the Major League Baseball players in your league. There's going to be a get-together on September 10th at the ballpark, a party suite, and we'll have the opportunity to visit with Austin and Tommy and Adam on that date before the game.
3: So sign up now. Yep. Sign up, participate, donate to Big League Impact.
2: BigLeagueImpact.org is where you want to go. And are we we're going to Take a break? What are we going to do here? Well, we can't take a break at the moment, but we do want to say that Adam is going to get his next opportunity to pitch against the Pirates, and I know that's one of the things that you want to talk to him about is his uncommon dominance against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They must hate to have Adam Wainwright pitching against them, know that he's going to be on their agenda.
3: He hasn't permitted a run in his past 19 inning against the Pirates, and he's won his last seven decisions against them. I'm sure when they, they are looking at the schedule and they see that Adam Wainwright is coming up, that they hate it.
2: And there have been a lot of Cardinals over the years. Jack Clark was great against the Pirates. Mark McGuire was great against the Pirates. Albert always had great success against the Pirates. And now Adam Wainwright, who joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. It is Wednesdays with Wayno. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Morning,
8: guys. How's it going?
2: Everything's good here. Uh, We want to start with this, your reaction last night to Jack Flaherty coming out of the game.
8: Well, it's always hard to see a teammate come out, um, but especially a teammate as great as Jack is on and off the field, a great teammate, great competitor. He's a number one caliber starting pitcher. So, I mean, you know, it's it's, uh, extra kind of hard to see that. I think that's why you saw a team that, it took us about four or five innings to kind of wake up after that like oh oh no you know like golly what what just happened because we just got him back we were all fired up to get jack back obviously um but you know what it's uh unfortunately it's part of the game and you gotta you gotta keep going you gotta you gotta, you gotta keep playing you gotta keep competing but it's 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 really hard especially hard when you lose a a top flight competitor who's a, you know, championship caliber guy. So we're just hoping now that it's not serious when we get him back in a few days.
3: Adam, that was some tough news that you guys absorbed yesterday, but the day started out great with some positive news that your brother, Yadi or Molina, is coming back to the Cardinals next season on a one year extension. What was your reaction when you heard that news? And does Yadi coming back next season perhaps influence your decision to return at all?
7: <laughs>
8: that was really exciting for Yadi. I was, I was, uh, fired up for him because I know he wanted that. You know, he, he – uh, and he especially wanted to get it done quickly, I think, because, you know, if it wasn't going to happen, he wanted to be able to say goodbye to the fans and how well they treated him and, and uh, you know, kind of pay his respects and, and uh, show some love there. But I'm glad it worked out because he's a cardinal. He would look so weird in another uniform. It would just not look good, not look right, wouldn't be – would make anybody feel good to see Yachty wearing a different uniform. So um, I'm glad he's back. He's obviously a huge part of the reason why I've been successful my whole career and and uh, more than more than a teammate to me. So glad to have him back for
2: sure. And what about the second part of the question? Yeah, what
3: about your decision, Adam? Does that influence it at all?
2: <laughs>
8: y'all, are, y'all are sneaky. We have to try. We have to try. <laughs> well, if, you, know, you know, if Yachty had gone out and signed with – some other team, it would have, it would have made it um, not as easy to come back. I'll just say that. How about that?
2: Okay. Good. Fair. Adam, you've talked about how you're a St. Louis Cardinal and you're so proud of having spent your entire career wearing one uniform, and Yachty is going to do that. D- did you realize that in Cardinal history, the only two Cardinal Hall of Famers that have never worn another jersey are Stan and Gibby? So Yachty will be the third that goes to the Hall of Fame and has never worn another jersey.
8: Yeah, that's incredible. It's and it's, you know, it's especially hard in today's game to do that. I mean, with just the way money is and the way businesses are run, it's it's really hard to stay with one franchise your entire career. Um, I'm so blessed to have been able to do that. But for Yachty, you know, we're gonna see number four on the side of the wall out there, right next to number five and number six, and uh, and it's just. It's just a, a great acknowledgement for a guy who's been a generational type player, one of the best catchers, if not the best defensive catcher of all time, one of the best catchers, period, of all time. And, uh, yeah, just I think it's, and who knows, we, we might have this same conversation about Yachty six years from now after his, you know, fifth year in a row signing fact. back, um, but... I think it's just a—it's a cool acknowledgement and a cool thing for Yachty to be able to say he's been with the Cardinals this long, and and he's a Cardinal. I mean, you know, it's just that's the way it is. He's a Cardinal.
3: Well, and so are you, Adam. You had another masterful performance on Sunday. And after the game, your manager, Mike Schilt, had a quote where he said that you're the club's modern-day Gibson, which is saying something. He said that you expect to dominate just like Bob Gibson. You expect to go nine. You expect to go deep in a game. What do you think of when you hear your manager comparing you to Bob Gibson? Is that something that you can really wrap your head around?
8: Uh, No, not really, because, you know, I think we all consider Bob Mr. Gibson, the, the greatest competitor of all time, probably, and and uh, it's just big. It's you know, it's, it's just big, big company, um, and it's a it's a standard that Mr. Gibson and some of our other cardinal legends over the years have have just set this bar so high, uh, and and like everything that you know, I'm, I'm I when I go out and and compete and pitch. <clears throat> I'll see it's inevitably sometimes every year somebody'll be like hey you're you're doing great you're like half as good as Bob Gibson and I'm I'm like yeah and that's I appreciate that that's a great compliment thank you because that half as good as Bob Gibson is like way better than a lot of people so um he he's his greatness is like going to be unmatched as far as numbers go in our entire organization forever no one's ever going to touch anything he's ever done and uh yeah it's just cool co- it's cool co- um company for sure it's He's family. He's a Cardinal. He was, he was a, a guy that I always loved talking with and was blessed to be able to speak to him as many times
2: as I did. Adam, you, you mentioned where the bar is set for the Cardinals and fans because since 2000, this has been such a dominant franchise. But the expectations are so high that you guys can be in the playoff hunt three games back on the law side, a couple games back on the lost side, a chance to make the playoffs, and people will say, yeah. Oh, they suck. <laughs> So uh, how do you react to that when uh, some teams m- most franchises would love to be in the playoff hunt every year but if you guys aren't in the NLCS in the World Series then oh they suck how do you, how do you react to that
8: Well I mean it's a standard set it's, it's what our fans expect it's what we expect and our fans expectations drive us a lot of times, you know, it would be a real bummer if our fans just expected us to go out and play 500 or below every year. We, we like that pressure. We expect that. That's part of being a, a part of a great organization. You know I mean? The, the New York Yankees fan base, they expect the same thing. The St. Louis Cardinals expect the same thing, you know, when they see a team kind of floundering around that 500 mark, that's not good enough. They, this is a, this is a city built on championships in baseball and, uh, I hope it always continues that way. It, it does now. It, it does add a little bit of pressure, no doubt about it. It makes it hard on front office and coaching staff for sure to uh, to be able to live up to those expectations. But it's part of the job, you know. Where would you rather be than in St. Louis, a part of this organization, cheering for this organization? I, I just don't know if there's anywhere because it's it's built on it's built on superstar caliber players, superstar caliber teams, superstar caliber championship teams and world series parades with a million people plus. I mean it that's what this city, you know, expects. I, I think back to the to the Stanley Cup playoffs a few years ago when, when the Blues won. I think back to the uh the PGA championship that was at at the golf course here in St. Louis. I mean the crowd there was like nothing any golfer had ever seen. You know, so um I, I got a lot of golfers that live down in my same area, of South Georgia with me. And they were all like, dude, that golf course was great. But those fans were amazing. That was crazy. And I go, yeah, welcome. Welcome to St. Louis, buddy.
3: (laughs) That has to be cool for you when you get to watch some of your new teammates come to St. Louis for the first time and get to experience that. That has to be kind of special for you and Yachty, some guys who have been here a long time, Matt Carpenter, to sit back and watch their reaction to the way the fans appreciate them.
8: Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, last night – we had Miguel Cabrera who just hit his 500th home run. You know, Cardinal fans gave him a standing O. There's something special about that. I mean, that just doesn't happen in other parks. You know, you, you talk about you go to another city and say, "Hey, Albert Pujols just hit his 400th home run." Everybody's like, "Well, yeah, no, he hit 200 against us. I don't want to hear that name anymore." You know, and that, there's no standing O there. So, uh, just a really neat thing. Our fans appreciate they they appreciate greatness in all at all at all levels. When other teams Make come in and make a diving play to save a, a run on inning. Our fans give them the standing O. You know, give them the, the clap. And and, uh, and uh, for a new player to come here, they're like, hey, why? What in the world? And I'm like, dude, because they love, love, love the game of baseball, and they love it when it's played at its purest form with the effort shown. And they they're just great fans, man. They they want to see they're they're Cardinal fans, but beyond that, they're bigger baseball fans. I think so. Pretty neat.
3: Adam, we're looking at the calendar here, and we're not going to get to talk to you again before your birthday, which is next Monday. So, happy early birthday to you! Pretty big one coming up. Do you have any special plans, or is it just going to be another day for you?
8: Hey, I'm turning thirty. <laughs> um, well, we'll have a we're having our our team fancy football draft uh, a couple years later or a couple days later, and I think our several of our teammates have already said we're we're celebrating my birthday that night. So, a couple of Kool Aids, a couple of couple of popcorns and, and
2: uh, some good hangout time. We'll be all right. It'll be great. Hey, a couple more things before we get to the draft. Uh, you've talked to us a lot about your uh changing of your your physical approach over the last few years and with with your diet and with your workout and a guy you know Al McKinnis uh, he would always tell young players hey I wish I would have done this when I was younger he he started working out really hard when he was 29 30 and you got you got this physically fit when you were in your late 30s are you passing what you've done over the last few years along to the young players on the Cardinals
8: well so I've always been physically fit but I was just kind of I was bigger. I, I got up to two hundred and fifty pounds at one point. I'm I'm about two thirty five, two thirty six now, so I I've slimmed down a little bit. I've had to, to lose a little bit of, of muscle, a lot more fat than I lost muscle, but I had to lose a little bit of muscle too, just to, to stay sharp and be able to move around quick. I do pass around some stuff, but there you know, there's part of being a young player sometimes is getting big and strong and, and getting under those weights and, and sometimes part of being an older player is, is is having lived that and been strong, or whatever, and got strong, but but also finding unique ways to to stay strong without getting under those heavy weights as you get older. Uh, Randy, as you you probably know, it's it's a little easier to keep that weight on. Yeah, it you is. know, it's a, it's a little easier to keep that weight on, and it's a little easier to, to keep your strength as long as you kind of keep things rolling. And uh, when you're when you're a youngster, when I was a youngster, especially. Man, there was no amount of pizza or or steak or anything that was going to give me one pound of fat. Now I got to watch that now because I'll end up with a with a with a boiler if I don't. Um, but uh, I, I'm able to maintain my strength without doing as much. Heavy stuff and doing kind of more unique exercises, so sometimes you see a guy who's young going through some injuries and stuff hey 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 listen there's there's other ways to get there without you know taxing your body like that and and you can bring in those those other uh,
2: routines. And i got to ask you something about what Michelle talked about earlier in the show. I don't know if you've seen this story, but uh, apparently in the Super Bowl that the Falcons lost to the Patriots, they were up 21 nothing at half, up 28-3, and Kevin Alford, one of their defensive backs, told one of his new teammates with the Cardinals that— who was on that Patriots team? Malcolm that, Butler. Malcolm Butler. He said we started celebrating at halftime. He said I was getting ready to pop a bottle of champagne at halftime when we were up 21 nothing. You're a competitor and you've you've been in really great spots before and you've come back from really bad spots before. So when you see that that a competitor was a team was celebrating before the job was finished, what do you think?
8: Well, it's just one of the all-time biggest mistakes you can make as being a is, is 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 counting those chickens before they're hatched. You know, I mean, you just you cannot do it. And I'll guarantee you, on the other side, Tom Brady, the ultimate champion, was going, "This thing ain't over, boys." They think they already won it. You know, and and uh, if you've been through championship seasons, you've seen that. You've been a part of it. You've seen both sides of that. You know, you, there's been games where we've been way down. Well, I think one time we were up 8-0 going into the ninth inning in, in uh, Colorado, and we lost like 11-8. to eight. Uh, You just can't ever – the game is not ever over until it's over. I mean, that's just the way it is. If you start getting ahead of yourself, you take one little bit of eye off of the, the competition, one little bit of eye off of your preparation and the game plan – then the other team takes that one step forward. Then that all of a sudden this great momentum happens, and oh, watch out now, here we come. And then that other team starts feeling, oh, 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 oh man, we're back in it. And it's that mojo. It's that. It's that. Oh boy. Uh huh. Yeah. You. You're in it now. It's that little bit of attitude swing that can sway the whole game. And if you keep your foot down, you stomp your foot on their neck, as we like sometimes to say, not literally, but mm-hmm. figuratively uh sometimes that is where in the first couple of minutes of that second half if the, if the falcons had done that then that game might have been over because the other team drops their head a little bit and goes oh man now they didn't give in at all they they're not there these guys are they're still coming you know and and uh if you do that then it makes it real tough on the other team
2: Adam, Michelle, and I are looking forward to uh, playing some fantasy football with you. A little bit different format. We aren't going to have the typical draft this year. We're going to be on the RT Sports platform, but we want everybody to play. Austin Dean's going to be there. Tommy Edmonds going to be playing. You're going to be playing. And it's going to be a great year of fantasy football. And now that we're going to have a real season with a real training camp, it'll be a little easier to draft, I hope, this year, too.
8: It, it will be. We'll, we'll understand the process a little bit more. But, and, and that was my first time doing Daily Fantasy last year. Um, but you know, the big news this morning, Tony Michelle left the Patriots and goes to the Rams. That guy's, he's a former Georgia Bulldog, so I watched him a lot. He's very, very, very talented. You get him in the right system, he's going to be a great running back. So a big part of it is knowing who's going where and where, when you know, where they're ended up, what kind of offense they run. Those That's for the guys who want to win. But for other guys who just want to get in and compete and and uh, help out with good charity work that we're doing at Big League Impact, we'd love to have you, too. So you can join in at bigleagueimpact.org. We'd love to have you. We're going to play a daily fantasy style. We're going to have – right now we have five leagues. We have myself, Austin Dean, Lars Newtbar, and we just got a new host to one of our leagues. Pat Maroon is going to join a league and host uh, a league of 12 people. So – we uh, we're having a great time man. We are are uh really excited about what we're doing and who we're going to help this year with our charity and we'd love to have as many people to come and play. Hey, you can play with a three-time NHL Stanley Cup champion if you want to. Um or you know, maybe a two-time World Series champion. So uh, we're going to have fun. We'd love to have as many people as wants to get in.
2: It'll be great. And we once again advise people to go to bigleagueimpact.org. Wayno, have a great start against Pittsburgh. Enjoy today against the Tigers. We always appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you next week. Happy birthday to you, too.
8: Thank you very much. Y'all want to say
2: bye? Thank you. Say, say bye.
8: Bye. Bye All right, girls. See y'all. Have a great day.
2: <laughs> that is the great Adam Wainwright joining us on Wednesdays with Wayno on 101 ESPN. He's as good as it gets.
3: Absolutely he is. And I cannot believe his kids would just sit there quietly throughout that entire that interview. They tremendous. are so well-behaved. So good. Great parent as well.
2: <laughs> hey, don't forget you can join the 101 ESPN Bomberito Street Fleet Friday from 6 to 8 at Hotshot South County for the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge. It's a free-to-play indoor golf game where you can score prizes and Mick Ultra swag, plus your chance to win a trip for two to this year's. Ryder Cup. Don't miss out Friday, 6 to 8, with 101 ESPN at the Hot Shots in South County. Get all the details on the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge at 101ESPN.com. Great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow, I take it?
3: Yes, I will see you tomorrow.
2: And Danny Mac will be here with us.
3: Looking forward to it.
2: He has a noon game today, and uh, he's got a recorded show coming up here on 101 ESPN. For all of us, thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and
1: Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise.
9: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged in with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.